0: program is intended for mature audiences.
1: Look, I love Gary. He's fantastic. Good job you're doing. Boy, what a good reputation. Thank you very much,
2: Gary. Go to www.thefacesoflars.com. That's
3: www.thefacesoflars.com. Is this sing on? I think it is. Okay. Hey, listen, guys, it's me. It's Hunter. Um, listen, this is going to be a problem for my dad. And and I really I'm already on his shit list and I can't afford to get any worse because honestly, I, I'm i not making a whole lot of money right now. And I really need my dad not to be mad at me because he's kind of my mail ticket. You know what I'm saying? So, so listen, listen, listen just, just don't do it for me. Do it for my dad, okay? Do it for my dad, cause he's been wanting to be president. I don't know for forever, as long as I can. I can't remember last week, but but for a long, long time, okay? Just uh, just do do me a favor. Keep this whole thing on the down low. Don't say anything to him. Don't ask any questions. Yay! And it'll all blow over, okay? It always does. It always does. It always does, okay? So just just. Ignore everything that you read and uh, and, uh, and vote for Joe Biden. Okay, vote for my dad. Uh, thank you and and, and uh, God bless America or something.
0: Uh, bye bye. Many
4: ask whether the president has made a decision on keeping or keeping the
5: scope of space force.
0: Wow, space force. It's the plane of today. Um, it is an interesting question. Um, I am happy to check with our Space Force point of contact. I'm not sure who that is. I will find out and see if we have any update on that. I'll circle back. But I'll circle back. But I'll circle back. I can circle back. Go ahead. Thank you, Jen. Uh, the top Republican on the House Armed Services Committee is asking you to apologize for some of the comments that you made yesterday in the briefing room about the Space Force. Will you apologize? I did uh, send a tweet last night, you may not all be on Twitter, maybe they're not on Twitter, that said, we invite the members of Space Force here to provide an update to all of you on all of the important work they're doing, and we certainly look forward to seeing continued updates from their, uh, from their team. I'll circle back, I'll circle back, I'll circle back if I can circle back. But big picture here, I mean, does the Space Force have the full support of the Biden administration? Or is the president at some point perhaps going to try to get rid of it or in some way diminish it? Uh, They absolutely have the full support of the Biden administration. um, And uh, we are not revisiting the decision to establish the Space Force. Uh, The desire for the Department of Defense to focus greater attention and resources on the growing security challenges in space has long been a bipartisan issue, informed by numerous independent commissions and studies conducted across multiple administrations. And thousands of men and women proudly serve in the Space Force. As you know, it was established uh, by Congress, and any other steps would actually have to be taken by Congress, not by the administration. I'll I'll circle back. I'll circle back. I'll circle back. I can circle back space question, Mm -hmm. NASA's Artemis program, which was the Trump era program to return American astronauts to the moon by 2024. What is the president's plan? What is he going to do with that program? Is he going to keep it intact? I'm personally interested in space. I think it's a fascinating area of study, uh, but I have not spoken with our team about this particular program. So let me see if we can get you a more uh, informed uh, overview of that. I'll circle back. I'll circle back. But I'll circle back. But can circle back. I'll circle back with. I'll circle back with. to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you. I'll circle back with. I'll circle back with. But we'll circle back with you on this today. I'll circle back with. Um. I'll have to just circle back with you. We can. I'll circle back with. We will circle back with you. I'm happy to circle back with you. I will. will circle back with you. It's an interesting question, but I'll circle back with. We will certainly circle back with you more directly. I will circle back. I'm happy to. I'll circle back. I'm happy to circle back, but I'll have to circle back surely the days of the great Martian revelation are upon us i need to disappoint you but i will have to circle back with you on that as well
3: the bitch came back the very next day oh the bitch came back
5: thought she was a going but the bitch came back she couldn't stay
3: away don't you know the bitch came
0: much better when she's down on her knees
3: Cause when she's in my face is when I'm starting to see That all my friends are out for thinking that we'd be wrong Well she's so fucking stupid that she's singing along The trouble with girls is they're all the same the diamonds and pearls, they just wanna ring Before you know it, you're like a dog on a leash Well, you can try and change the world, but you won't change me The bitch came back The very next day, oh, the
6: bitch came back I thought she was a goner, but the bitch came back She couldn't stay away she died in love. Don't you
3: know the bitch came back again, she's always breaking my balls No matter what I do, somehow
5: it's always my fault She says I must be cheating because I turned up my phone But that's the only freaking way she leave me alone The trouble with girls is it's never
6: enough They love to complain and they never shut up They like to tell you the way it ought to be to tell the world just don't tell me
3: the very next day, oh you know the bitch came back. Thought she wasn't gone here, but the bitch came back. She couldn't have stayed away. Don't you know the bitch came back? It ain't a joke when I say I want to throw you out.
5: came back the very next day oh the bitch came back thought she was a gonna but the bitch came back
3: she won't stay the fuck away
0: I'll circle back. And I'll circle back. And I'll circle back.
2: can circle back. Yep, the bitch came back. The very next day, no less, after mocking the Space Force and then pretending to act all so serious regards to the Space Force, and then regards to our missions back to the moon. What a farce! But as we shall see, what a farce indeed it really is. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you ETs out there in the bite waves of the internet, and wherever you're at, down through time, monitoring this show. I'm Gary Legere, the Mars revealer, known also as the Mad Martian, and I would like to welcome you all to the Martian revelation that is upon you all again now. Welcome to the Bazaar. And today is February 6th of 2021, or the 7th, depending upon your time zone, as this is through time. And you're listening to this broadcast through Global Enlightenment Radio Network Stream, and also now through the Public Streaming Network, as well as through the Martian Revelation Show YouTube Stream Live at www.facesinmarch.com. That's
6: www.facesinmarch.com.
2: That's right, which everyone knows your defense for the war which we all fight against evil dark missionaries who are all leading you away from the light and the truth and manipulating you all instead to help you open your wallets and your pocketbooks to only join their dark-sided special clubs and their special subscriptions that only allows them more power to continue to mislead you all and to steer you all away from the truth that they themselves not wish to face or even admit to.
1: Hell, let alone even talk about. Yeah, UFO Diaries. Faces on Mars. Cover-up controversy. Down through time. Huge conspiracy.
3: It is a conspiracy. (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) That's right, but the Martian Revelation is, however, 100% listener-supported, with no special clubs or any special subscriptions to join. Free speech is what we abide by here. So if you're a listener, please help support the Martian Revelation Show again, which is your only defense for that war which we all fight against evil dark mission is. <laughs> and we're working with the goal each week to bring you the truth one show at a time. So please share the FacesOfMars.com link. And I must also ask you all, though, that you please donate to the show with anything that you can afford by clicking on the big red, white, and blue American Donate button at the top of the show page to allow it to continue being here for you down through time, as it is because of you, the listener, of which makes the Martian Revelation possible to be brought to you all back through time. So your listenership and your donation support actually counts, and it helps us all to not only fight, but to win against those evil dark missionaries, <laughs> as well as to secure a future which we all could literally make the Martian Revelation our reality. By what? By making our fate. But just remember also that if you're listening to this Martian Revelation show, then know this, that you are the resistance down through time. We've got a rocket show for you all tonight as we're going to have return guest Dr. Robert Zubrin on with us. And then following that, we hope we shall have Dr. John Brandenburg joining us on the show. A lot going on, that's all I have to say. And the position that we're at now, down through time, at this crucial time of where we must make our fate as a nation to establish our place in space and to win the space race. But all of that is in jeopardy. We have these commie frauds who have usurped our votes who have asserted our country, are not about America first, but America last. And all so heartily, everyone's been hearing it, nowhere else but on this show, but the most crucial aspect, that this threatens our place as a nation, as well as our position in space, and to win this space race. We're being set up for it to not happen. But why would anyone be so surprised there? This nation is in serious peril now, especially more so regards to this space race, as it is one, if not even more important than the resecuring of this nation that needed to be, but for the securing of the upper high ground of space, to which is the main battleground to secure the position of dominating and controlling the Earth. There are serious threats ahead of us. With those commie american treasonous false presidents and false illegitimate government that was set up against us are not out for our best interests and in our place in space. We're going to get into these issues. I would definitely love to know Dr. Zabrin's position in regards to all of this and how this shifts things around. Because it's going to be affecting them and their efforts, which affects us and our efforts because the work he and others have been doing have been working to propel us to secure that higher ground. But until then, let's get into some news. This was from two days ago. The U.S. is still committed to landing Artemis astronauts on the moon, the White House says. Do they? But whether NASA's 2024 moon landing goal still holds remains to be seen. Of course, it's going to be pushed ahead on a turtleneck snail pay speed policy agenda. But the Biden administration's crucial first 100 days in office now includes a big human spaceflight pledge. Yeah, I bet it does. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, circle back, said Thursday, February 4th, that President Joe Biden will carry on the Artemis program to land humans on the moon in the coming years. Artemis began under Biden's predecessor, then-President Donald Trump. Through the Artemis program, the United States government will work with industry and international partners. There it is again, international partners to send astronauts to the surface of the moon. Another man and a woman to the moon as well, Pasaki told reporters in a White House press briefing Thursday. Certainly, we support this effort and endeavor, she added. Yeah, Certainly. Why don't I trust anything that they say, especially after she went on mocking? Psaki's comments, which were an answer to a reporter's question, did not mention NASA's 2024 target for the first crewed Artemis moon landing, a deadline set by the Trump administration. Last year, a bipartisan effort in the U.S. House of Representatives sought to push that landing mission to 2028 instead, in line with NASA's previous goals. And again, that doesn't work for an America first advantage. But NASA ended up sticking with the 2024 deadline for the time being. But this year, there is a new U.S. president. He ain't mine, as well as a new acting NASA administrator, Steve Jurczyk, who took the agency's reins just two weeks ago. As Pesaki noted, NASA intends to accomplish its Artemis goals with the help of industry and international partners, including the European Space Agency and Canadian Space Agency. Again, collaborators and collaborations amongst international partners, not America first. But in her comments, she also mentioned NASA's aims of producing new science in the effort. Really? Pisaki's reference to another man and a woman on the moon echoes language often used by former NASA chief Jim Bridenstine at media events in the past few years. All 12 people who walked on the moon during NASA's Apollo program between 1969 and 72 were men. The Artemis program, a waypoint to Mars, provides exactly the opportunity to add numbers to that. Pisaki noted the number of moonwalkers. NASA views Artemis as a stepping stone toward crude red planet missions, which the agency aims to start flying in the 2030s. Again, turtlenecks, they'll pay speed policy agenda, but lunar exploration has broadened bicameral support in Congress. Well, I'm not saying that shouldn't be done at all, but we don't need the moon as a stepping stone in order to reach and colonize Mars. There could be benefits, but we don't need one to do the other. We should do them both simultaneously. The race is on, but not anymore. But in December, before Biden took office, NASA named an Artemis team of 18 astronauts who are eligible for flight assignments, including the Artemis II flight around the moon that's currently scheduled for 2023, the Artemis 3 landing mission slated for 2024, and future opportunities in Artemis. Artemis one, which is scheduled to launch late this year, will be an uncrewed test flight around the moon. NASA astronaut Ann McLean, a member of the Artemis team, said of Pasaki's words on Twitter, we'll be ready. I really hope so. But the Trump administration announced its 2024 moon landing goal in March of 2019, with then-Vice President Mike Pence stressing that a swift landing was required because the U.S. is in a space race with China and Russia His words echoed what historians sometimes call the 1960s era space race when NASA and the Soviet Union sent the first few human missions to space. And we were. And we are in one now. But it's more existential, much more important now that we succeed in this. This isn't just about putting people back on the moon. This is about going, putting people on the moon and staying. Just like going to Mars. It's not just about going to Mars and coming back home. It's about going to Mars and staying. But in July of 2019, the four months after the 2024 deadline announcement, NASA saw a major shakeup of of its human spaceflight leadership to, in Bridenstine's words at the time, address cost and schedule issues with Artemis. We're moving to a new era in human spaceflight where the administration is interested in going fast. We're interested in doing things in a different way. And I believed it was important to have a new leadership at the top of the human exploration and operations mission directorate, Bridenstine said in July of 2019. I just thought it was important to make this decision, make this change at this time. A few days after the leadership reorganization, Bridenstine told Space.com that safety would be paramount, even with the acceleration. Just know, in no way does NASA intend to mitigate safety at all when it comes to meeting the objective, he said. I want to get that back to a day where we have realistic cost and schedule plans and we meet those plans. Yet the 2024 deadline still put pressure on NASA to ready numerous major systems, not least the Space Launch System rocket, the SLS, still undergoing delayed final testing this month ahead of its shipment to Florida for the Artemis One mission later this year. The agency also tried to finish components such as spacesuits and human landers safely but swiftly to reduce political risk and waiting, Bridenstine stressed repeatedly when he was administrator. Late in his tenure, Bridenstine said full funding for NASA's human landing systems would be needed to achieve a 2024 moon landing, and meeting that goal would become more and more difficult with less money. Congress ultimately allotted less than NASA's request in a 2021 spending bill. Of course, because they're not for America or America first. And we'll get into that. But prior to the 2024 moon landing deadline announcement, NASA had planned a 2028 lunar landing effort in line with the moon-oriented space policy Directive 1, which President Donald Trump signed in December of 2017. But that's just not good enough. Pence said during the fifth meeting of the National Space Council in March 2019 when announcing the 2024 deadline, we're better than that. And we are. But there are those who have agendas to not allow us or want us to be better than that because the goal is not for Americans and America first, which brings us to this next article, also from Thursday, February 4th, is China preparing to blitz the moon. When the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, commences its manned moon program, it may do so in a big way, as its goal is to control the Earth-Moon system to enforce its hegemony on Earth, and then to regulate access to the future space economy. Existential threat to Americans and America first. For most of the last decade, the Chinese regime has been peddling the idea that its manned moon program may not start until around 2030. This appeared to be confirmed by Chinese revelations that its main moon mission, Space Launch Vehicle, the SLV, the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, Long March 9, would not be in service until about 2030. But now it is possible to assess that China may get there well before 2030. China began to reveal a possible acceleration of its moon plans in November of 2018 when it revealed a new 5-meter diameter manned SLV with a three-parallel booster configuration like the 63-ton to low-Earth orbit SpaceX Falcon Heavy. Few details were revealed at that time, not even its name, so Chinese space enthusiasts dubbed it the 921 rocket after China's MAD 9-to-1 program from 1992. Then in September 2020, an official subordinate to the Armaments Department of the Central Military Commission of the People's Liberation Army, which controls China's space program, officially confirmed it for the first time that China had an active manned moon program and was developing a new manned moon lander and a new manned SLV. This is the 921 rocket designed to loft about 70 tons to low Earth orbit and about 25 tons to the moon. It is possible that future versions of this SLV will feature reusable first stages like Falcon Heavy, helping China to significantly reduce the cost of sending people and supporting payloads to the moon. The interest and attention paid to this new rocket caused some Chinese observers to speculate that the Long March 9 program has possibly been abandoned. But this was put to rest by a November 26, 2020 report in China Daily that stated, China Aerospace Science and Technology Corp. has estimated that about 10 Long March 9s will be needed each year from 2030 to 2035 in China to serve the nation's robust demand for heavy lift rockets. You heard that? Ten of them. The race is on. Existential. Existential. But this means that the Chinese regime may be planning to build 60 of its Long March 9 super-heavy space launch vehicles over a period of six years. This has huge implications for China's ambitions to build a dominant presence on the moon and to begin colonizing Mars before we even get there. But while it is not yet clear that the CCP leadership has approved such plans, what do you think? CASC would likely not be disclosing such SLV requirement numbers without some level of approval or encouragement from party leaders. China Daily also stated the super-heavy rocket will be 93 meters tall, have a liftoff weight of 4,140 metric tons, and a thrust power of 5,760 tons. Its core stage will be about 10 meters in diameter— We'll be able to transport spacecraft with a combined weight of 140 tons to a low-Earth orbit. We'll also be able to place spaceships weighing up to 50 tons in an Earth-Moon transfer trajectory for lunar expeditions. Other Chinese sources indicate that other possible versions of the Long March 9 could loft 65-ton payloads to the Moon. Such limited data, however, does offer some idea for how rapidly China might populate the Moon. One might start by estimating that China devotes 40 of the potential 60 Long March 9s to moon missions, with the remaining to be used to support a second-generation low-Earth orbit space station and to begin sending people to Mars. The race is on! Wake up! But where are Americans and America first in this race? But the 50-square-meter interior and and 22-and-a-half-ton TNE module, I'm sure massacring that name, that could be launched by April for China's new space station, can support a crew of three. Perhaps a moon base of four similar-sized modules might support a crew of six people. Assuming a Long March 9 could transport two TNA-sized moon base habitat modules to the moon, then 20 Long March 9 missions might begin the building of 10 separate Chinese moon bases. 10 separate Chinese moon bases. The other 20 Long March 9 missions could transport the moon rovers, power systems, communication systems, mining equipment, and moon production systems that would enable full exploitation of the moon's resources. Do you hear that? The other 20 Long March 9 missions could transport the moon rovers, power systems, communication systems, mining equipment, and moon production systems that would enable full exploitation of the moon's resources. Tell me, where are Americans in America first? This is existential threat. But this, in turn, could accelerate the Chinese regime's ambition to build very large space-based solar power satellites to achieve energy independence on Earth, amongst to achieve a lot of other things of Earth, especially the domination over it and over we the people. Our country will be destroyed. Such potential Chinese moon blitz ambitions are of concern because it is also possible that water ice, the most important early lunar resource objective, may be available only in a small number of locations at the Moon South Pole. Remember, the CCP is capable of imperialism as in the South China Sea. And no one really wants to talk about that much. But in March of 2019... The Trump administration set a goal of getting to the moon by 2024, which does not appear realistic given congressional reluctance to provide additional funding. Congressional reluctance, of course, those international collaborators and cooperationists of traitors, not for Americans or for America first. But NASA is developing its non-reusable space launch system, super heavy, SLV, that could send 27 to 46 tons of cargo to the moon. It is a classic risk adverse NASA program, but its projected payload cost to the moon is about $20,000 a kilogram. But the Starship could only be ready for moon missions by 2022 to 2023 and has been selected by NASA as a possible moon lander for its Artemis program to return to the moon. But it offers a potential amazing strategic advantage if projections are correct of transporting payloads to the moon for about $2,000 a kilogram. Perhaps China's potential plans to build such a large number of Long March 9 super-heavy SLVs may be their response to the Starship, along with an accelerating investment in their own reusable SLVs. This only redoubles the need for Starship to succeed so that the United States, its allies and partners could use it to build a sufficient moon presence before China does, to have a better chance of deterring the CCP from lunar imperialism and aggression. The advantages offered by Starship, if quickly exploited by resolute U.S. leadership, could help thwart the Chinese regime's hegemonic ambitions. Which brings us to this next article. From yesterday, again dealing with the existential threat of the commie Chinese. China is hell-bent on becoming a new space power, as experts claim Mars is the top prize. They're really spitting in our faces now. Let's get into this. China is hell-bent on winning the new space race to Mars at all costs, even with established powers like NASA and commercial entities like SpaceX, SpaceX. Also eyeing up the red planet, a space industry expert has announced. In less than a week, the Chinese Tin Wing 1 mission will enter orbit around Mars. And though the rover will not attempt to land until May 10th, three months after NASA's perseverance forever rover lands, China's list of milestones in space has been rapidly growing in recent years. It was only last year that China joined the world's most elite club when it became the second-only country to plant a flag on the moon thanks to its Chang'e 5 lunar lander. The success of the Chang'e 5 mission has shown China is a serious contender in the new space race. And I add one that should not be ignored. But And the country's space ambitions are not limited to just the moon or low-Earth orbit. No! listeners to this show can appreciate we knew this all along. But the success of the Chang'e 5 mission has shown China is a serious contender in a new space race. And the country's space ambitions are not limited to just the moon or low-Earth orbit. According to Steffi Palladini, a reader in economics and global security in Birmingham City University, there is a new space race that is underway, and the top prize is Mars. Space agencies like NASA have already announced their plans to put boots on Mars as early as 2035, using the moon as a stepping stone into the solar system. Billionaire Elon Musk has also been pumping money into his SpaceX, vessel, believing that he can make humanity a multi planetary species, as well as regards to the work and efforts of tonight's guest, Dr. Robert Zubrin of the Mars Society. But in the day before Team Win 1's arrival, the UAE probe, Hope, will also attempt to enter orbit around Mars. And the competition is intense. In an article titled, How Mars Became the Prize for the New Space Race, and why China is hell-bent on winning it, Dr. Palladini argued that China looks to space as just another stage for competition, which really means dominion and control. The U.S. Economic and Security Review Commission acknowledged as much as in the 2019 report. The report stated that China seeks to become an international leader in space, or what it terms as a space power in all respects. She said that China has already enacted five-year plans for its space activities, the latest of which ended in 2020 with more 140 launches. More missions are planned, a new orbital space station, the retrieval of Martian samples, and a Jupiter exploratory mission among them. According to 2017 estimates, China has already committed $11 billion towards its goals. For comparison, the NASA budget for that year was about $20 billion. India is also expanding its reach into space, which could be a concern for China. The country has already reached Mars in 2014 with its Mars Orbiter mission, its MOM mission, which is still circling the red planet. Dr. Palladini said India's government released its 2019, the 2020 annual report, which shows a growing military involvement in the space sector. And another moon and Venus missions are well on the Indian ISRO plans, in case the Chinese were not already motivated enough in making win one a resounding success. Space Race 2.0 is definitely warming up. However, getting to Mars is tricky business, and out of the 49 missions launched as of December 2020, only about 20 have made it. Well, that's why listeners of this show could also understand and appreciate when I say regards to China's missions to Mars. I hope it blows up! That's an existential threat. They're not about exploration and the release of knowledge and science to humanity. This is about their gain the high ground and controlling and dominionship over space, as well as all activities, as already stated in the previous article. But in 2016, the European Space Agency's Schiaparelli Mars Explorer had crashed into the planet. The British lander Beagle 2 also failed in 2003 after it most likely did not deploy its solar panels after touching down. So obviously once wants to end on that it's still a feat that's yet to be achieved. But with regards to the progress of the commie Chinese and their goals and endeavors in space, they are succeeding in very much short time compared to the time frame NASA has the accomplishments that they made for so-called Americans, taking many more decades to get the things done. Now, in another no-brainer shocker for the international collaborators and cooperationists and to the traders that sold us out and are not out for we, the people, for Americans or America first, we got another kick in the balls yesterday, under which surprise. If one wasn't thinking that China was being propped up and given the keys to the solar system and that this so-called administration isn't sold out to the commie Chinese, notice how this article from February 3rd, as Biden cancels Elon Musk's adventures into space, new president is making the space policy increasingly clear. America will remain grounded for the time being. Ain't that some shit? Just like the South China Sea no one likes to really talk about, look at the deals that are being made here for Biden kissing Jinping's ass. But that's just a confirmation to we the people of the type of people that we have now usurping our freedoms and rights and the will and the desire of we the people. Well let's get into this. The United States is in a titanic struggle with the People's Republic of China for the dominance of space. Listeners of this show well appreciate. Although the Americans have been to the moon and sent multiple advanced probes to the surface of Mars since the end of the Cold War, U.S. space policy has languished in neutral. Due to this, new competitors, namely China, have arisen to challenge the dominance of the Americans and the ultimate strategic high ground of space, do you think we're not hit to that by now? These communist American treasonous leaders of ours have gave it to them, have sold it to them, have enabled them in order to destroy this country. But I digress. China has grand ambitions for space. Not only does China plan on beating the Americans to the Martian surface by the end of the decade, but Beijing wants control of the vital orbits around the Earth. By controlling these orbits, China's military would enjoy significant advantages over the American military and over our nation's security, I'll add to that. But beyond that, China plans on strip-mining the moon for valuable resources. Yeah, and cutting off the path for us other entrepreneurs and other people that want to be involved in this. We see what they're doing. But the Americans, though, have always had a silver bullet in its competition with China for space dominance, a vibrant and innovative private sector, specifically the growing number of private space startups such as Elon Musk, SpaceX. Thanks to his reusable rocket design, Mr. Musk's company has already cut down on launch costs by a staggering 40%. insists that it could cut those costs down further. What's more, SpaceX rockets are entirely indigenously produced. And as the ongoing race to Mars between the United States and China intensifies, Mr. Musk's new deep space reusable rocket Starship, the big effing rocket, might just be the vehicle that gets American astronauts to Mars before China can get its tychonauts to the red planet. Oh, yes, indeed. However, certainly the Starship reusable rocket is unproven. In another America, this experimental craft would elicit wonder and its development would be encouraged. Yes, in another America, one where we care about Americans and America first. That America, that was taken from us, right? But the Trump administration exhorted SpaceX to vigorously move ahead with its Starship Big Effing Rocket program. The United States, however, has a new president. Not to me. It's illegitimate. But anyway... And Joe Biden is making his space policy preferences increasingly clear. America will remain grounded for the time being. Now, who does that serve? Once again, it's showing through the deals that he has struck and made with China for the advantages for behalf of the communist Chinese military. America will remain grounded for the time being. Like, we can't look and see right through that. How transparent that is. And who are they to dictate our progress in our place in space to stop that? Once again, they're not thinking about Americans or America first. And also yesterday from a not-so-surprising article, which only segues into this all, is that Biden and administration rushes to embrace Beijing, says Senator Cruz. Let's get into this because it's all relevant. Again, published yesterday, February 5th, the Biden administration is rushing to embrace the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, a policy strategy Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, called dangerous in a video that he posted that seeks to bring attention to comments made by Biden's cabinet nominees. The warm relationship, which has already emerged in the beginning weeks of the administration threatens to undo years of efforts to counter the CCP. Under the Trump administration, the United States began responding to Beijing's unrestricted warfare strategy by ratcheting up its war of words and escalating its countermeasures. Think of what you're being told here and put two and two together. Senator Cruz told the Epoch Times via email that China poses the single greatest geopolitical threat to the United States over the next century... We need serious, clear-eyed policymakers to confront that threat, he added. One of the really disturbing patterns we've seen with Biden nominee after Biden nominee is their rush to embrace the worst elements of the Chinese Communist Party. Again, listeners to this show, are you surprised? But I will continue working with my colleagues to protect our national security. It's already compromised. But the Epoch Times reached out to the Biden administration for comment, but did not immediately receive a response. Of course not. But on his first full day on the job, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who has a decades-old relationship with Biden, told the reporters that the U.S.-China relationship was arguably the most important relationship that we have in the world. Right. One of China first and America last. But Blinken said he favored cooperation with China on climate change and other issues of shared concern. Bullshit. While also endorsing the determination that the previous administration made that China is committing genocide against Muslims in Xinjiang. Well, they are. They want to genocide us. Well, meanwhile, Governor Gina Raimondo Biden's nominee to be secretary of the Department of Commerce has refused to commit to keeping Huawei technologies on the Commerce Department's entity list, which would stop it from acquiring American technology. Right. It's a free-for-all now. China's Huawei has received bipartisan scrutiny over security concerns. Beijing notably requires its companies to share its information with the Chinese Communist Party's intelligence sector. Washington has repeatedly stated that Huey, founded in 1987 by a former People's Liberation Army engineer, is an extension of the regime. We've been infiltrated. Another nominee, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, is Biden's nominee for ambassador to the United Nations. She received criticism over her 2019 remarks at an event sponsored by the CCP-backed Confucius Institute. Senator Cruz recently joined three of his colleagues on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to vote against advancing Linda Thomas Greenfield's nomination to the Senate floor. At the 2019 event, Greenfield spoke positively about China, telling the audience that the country has invested in Africa in a number of ways, including railway projects and other infrastructure development. Africa would not benefit from competition between the United States and China, she added, saying that the United States could learn from China and its recent success on the continent. Infiltrators. But the U.S. should be focused on building a strong partnership with Africa, which is based on shared values of peace, prosperity, sustained economic growth and development, and a firm commitment to good governance, gender equity, and the rule of law. Bullshit. They don't respect any of those things. We're seeing past that now. I see no reason why China cannot share in those values. In fact, China is in a unique position to spread these ideals, given its strong footprint on the continent. She said, yes, but it was footprint of what? Communism. Senate Foreign Relations Chairman Jim Risch. hope I'm saying that name right, of Idaho, said the biggest issue with her speech was the lack of acknowledgement of the malign activities of China. Greenfield defended herself, telling senators that she has a long track record of acknowledging those activities and expressed regret for accepting the invitation to speak at the Savannah State University Confucius Institute. Under Biden's hand, the United States is rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. Another joke. China is the world's largest financier and builder of both fossil fuel and renewable infrastructure worldwide, according to the Climate Action Tracker. It is the largest emitter of CO2 emissions in the world. (coughs) Any yada, just more commie bullshit of China in their various ways, their clawed into our nation and setting them up upon the world? I guess this last article, uh, also from February 4th, Pompeo says China will use artificial intelligence to harm us. Look at all this information trying to be told to us all and the severity. And then look at our place in the space race. Now, we're going to be grounded for a while? For what? Who gains the advantage? We've been sold out and infiltrated. Well, let's read this real quick. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said in an interview aired on February 4th that the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, will use artificial intelligence to comb through troves of personal data on U.S. citizens recovered from Chinese technology and apps and use the intelligence as a weapon to strong arm the United States. That's what all this is. You see how things add up? But they will use that information. They will use artificial intelligence to gather it up. And then they will turn around and tell us that if we don't act in a way that's consistent with what the Chinese Communist Party wants, they will impose real costs on the United States, Pompeo told Fox News Maria Bartiromo. Pompeo was responding to a question on whether the administration of Joe Biden should keep in place the sanctions and order restrictions imposed on Chinese companies by former President Donald Trump, who in my mind is still the duly elected. But the flip side is these technologies that infiltrate the United States and infiltrate Europe on the things that our kids use, that we use, that are in our cars, that are in our television sets, that are in our handsets and phones. We've been infiltrated. This information, also American information, whether it's our personal information about where we live and who we hang out with, or information about our medical conditions and our DNA, That information goes back to the Chinese national security state, Pompeo said. Think about that. And asked if the information could be used. It will be used for bad intent. It will be used to harm the United States of America, as it is now, as we see what's going on there. And this a legitimate presidency. But in those sanctions that were put in place by our administration of President Trump to protect the American people from these twin evils. And that's on the threat now, obviously. But the Trump administration imposed restrictions and sanctions on a variety of Chinese technology firms, including telecommunication giants Huawei and ZTE. Pompeo added that he warned the U.S. allies about the dangers Posed by the cCP the regime he said has consistently broken its promises over the past two decades. It should be dealt with under the motto "Distrust but verify <laughs> I spent a lot of time traveling the world and talking to leaders from Europe to Asia to South America, reminding them that while China might show up with a little bit of money, the intent behind was to create leverage and power and that they ought not to join an idea that is anti-Western, anti-democratic in any important way, Pompeo said. Pompeo has been warning that the CCP has already infiltrated the United States and is working to influence the levers of power from the local level on up to Washington, which we the people and listeners to this show can obviously see. Especially how our space program and our position in space is being handed over to the commie Chinese. Infiltration. But not only has the CCP destroyed millions of American jobs, but they're behind the gates. They're lobbying members of Congress. They're working our school boards and city councils to try to change our way of life. He wrote on the Twitter on the February 3rd, we, along with our allies, must take the China threat seriously. Yes, as must all of us, as we the people of the United States. They want us dumbed down and blind to this. But Pompeo was among a group of recently departed Trump administration officials sanctioned by Beijing over their tough approach to the CCP. Aw, uh, their butt hurt. And now they think that President Trump is gone and that these policies are going to go that now, that they're going to take the headway of space and dominate over us and then have the success to destroy this nation and to control our fate. Bullshit. So speaking of China, they slap us once in the face again for an article put out yesterday on the 5th. They released the first photo of the red planet from the China's Ting Wing 1 mission. China's Tingwin one spacecraft snapped its first image of Mars as the mission makes its final approach. The probe will enter orbit around the red planet less than a week, and everyone seeing and hearing all this doesn't put together the feeling of, hey, how is it that they're in the lead? Or running around shouting, victory, victory, victory. I don't think the race is over yet. Maybe it's too soon to gloat, but it seems they're being propped up. But China's Tianwen-1 spacecraft snapped its first image of Mars as the mission makes its final approach. The probe will enter orbit around the red planet in less than a week. The China National Space Administration (CNSA) released the image yesterday, February 5th, demonstrating that the powerful high-resolution camera on the wing one spacecraft is working properly. The grayscale image was captured at a distance of 1.36 million miles from Mars, according to CNSA. A labeled version of the image indicates the location of notable features on display, namely Acidalia Planitia, Chryse Planitia, Meridiani Planum, Schiaparelli Crater, and Valles Marineris. Tianwen 1, a combined orbiter and rover, has since closed in on a red planet and was 683,000 miles away on Friday. The spacecraft is expected to enter Mars' orbit Wednesday, February 10th. The five-ton spacecraft will burn up its engines to slow the vehicle down, enough to be captured by Mars' gravitational pull. Hope it misses. Hope it blows up. CNSA also stated that Team 1 completed a fourth trajectory correction maneuver yesterday at 7 a.m. Beijing time to ensure the spacecraft is on course for entering Mars' orbit. The spacecraft has traveled 289 million miles during its 197 days in space and was about 114 million miles from Earth at the time of the trajectory correction maneuver. All of the spacecraft systems are in good working condition, CNSA said. The great distance between Earth and Tinwin-1 means a communications delay of around 10 minutes. This means the spacecraft will need to carry out commands to start the braking burn by itself with instructions sent in advance from the Beijing Aerospace Control Center. After entering orbit, Tianwen-1 will begin to prepare for a landing attempt of the mission's rover. The orbiter will begin imaging the main candidate landing site within the huge impact basin of Utopia Planitia to the south of NASA's Viking 2 landing site ready for a landing attempt around May. China is currently holding a 40-day public vote to select a name for its Mars rover. How about Infiltrator? The three most popular names will be sent to a committee for the final choice. If the roughly 530-pound solar-powered rover lands safely, it will investigate the surface soil characteristics and potential water rights distribution with its subsurface exploration radar instrument. The rover also carries panoramic and multispectral cameras and instruments to analyze the composition of rocks. Meanwhile, the Tinwin-1 orbiter will study the red planet's surface with medium and high-resolution cameras and a sounding radar and make other detections with a magnetometer and particle detectors. Tinwin-1 launched in July and will arrive at Mars the day after the United Arab Emirates, the HOPE mission, And a week before NASA's perseverance forever, rover. I don't know about you people, but this makes me feel angry. It makes me feel worried. It makes me feel this is so much more intense than it's being addressed. We are having our destiny and our fate taken away from us, as well as our heritage, for our right and our place in space, for all humanity under we the people. You know, but I can feel how I do. I'm just crazy. But consider our guest tonight, Dr. Robert Zubrin, and his efforts and hard work in trying to help make this goal happen that we get to Mars and set it all up. I wonder if any of these news is distracting to him or if he thinks any potential threats come from this to their efforts on trying to make these goals happen for us to be at Mars. So, you know, we'll have to find out from him. As I believe now, it should be time enough to go to a break, and then we should come back on and introduce our guest, Dr. Robert Zubrin. So everyone, I would like you all to please go to www.thefacesofmars.com. That's www.facesofmars.com. That's right. And scroll on down the page and see the information for tonight's guest, Dr. Robert Zubrin. Click on his link there for the Mars Society, as well as a few of his books there. And then for our secondary guest tonight, after Dr. Zubrin, we'll have Dr. John Brandenburg on with us. So click on those books there also from him. And everyone uh, interested in packing and smoking them on this show, check out my buddy Larry Bowen's recipe. Again, still for Shepherd's Pie. I guess, you know, he's coming up with something else. Can't expect him to pull up with something out of his ass every week. (laughs) But it all tasty treats. Listeners of this show can appreciate for listening to this show. But I want everyone to think about, is it me? Or do you see the importance in what's going on? How things are shaping up for this nation and what happened and what's happening, especially regards to space? They need to control that as soon as possible before we may ever get a chance to so that they can continue to dominate over the earth and become the world power that they so need to achieve with our leaders' help. Again, listeners of this show can appreciate also that we must make our fate. And they also appreciate that we have a motto here, pack them and smoke them, because you're definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation. I'll be back.
6: Don't run. We are your friends.
4: Imagine that everything the U.S. government has told you about UFOs since Roswell has been a lie. Imagine that in a decade after Roswell, the government attempted communication with the aliens and succeeded. And after that, in absolute secrecy, things had gone far, far beyond this. Now imagine that tomorrow, the whole secret program is going to fall apart, and every terrible thing is going to come out. All we have left now is a prayer. Morning star passed. The collapse of the UFO cover-up. A fictional but unflinching and terrifying look inside the UFO cover-up. The secret government that supports it and the world of the aliens themselves. And then, how the whole secret kingdom ends. Morningstar Pass, a book that pulls no punches and does not sheath the sword unblooded. Morningstar Pass, plunging boldly where no other book has ventured. Captures the whole wondrous nightmare that the UFO experience has become. From bizarre... Experiments performed on helpless abductees, to horrifying mutilations, to beyond, to the world of secret government supported by its own secret police, to the aliens in their secret bases, and finally to the beckoning stars themselves. The book does this by placing the cover-up humanity and the Earth in a real cosmos where humanity and its passions are a part of the universe, not an aberration on it. Then comes the fall of the cover-up. And a climax of violence and desperation to leave the human race facing the multi-hued stars with eyes open and seeking its place in them. The sands of time have run out for the cover-up or against it. Leading an army of investigators and warriors comes Cassandra Chen, beautiful, driven and doomed. Who can save her and us? <laughs> You'll have to read it to find out. Morningstar Past: The Collapse of the UFO Cover-up by Victor Norgaard. Get yours today. You can find this at www.firstbooks.com.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Now that you packed them and smoked them, as we marched off to Mars, let's bring on our special guest, Dr. Robert Zubrin, who's literally trying to get us to Mars. And Dr. Robert Zubrin is the president of Pioneer Astronautics, an aerospace R&D company located in Lakewood, Colorado. He is also the founder and president of the Mars Society, an international organization dedicated to furthering the exploration and settlement of Mars by both public and private means. Formerly a staff engineer at Lockheed Martin Astronautics in Denver, he holds a master's degree in aeronautics and astronautics and a Ph.D. in nuclear engineering from the University of Washington. Dr. Zubrin is the inventor of several unique concepts for space propulsion and exploration, the author of over 200 published technical and non-technical papers in the field, and was a member of Lockheed Martin's scenario development team charged with developing brand new strategies for space exploration. In that capacity, he was responsible for developing the Mars Direct Mission Plan, a strategy which, by using Martian resources, allows a human Mars exploration program to be conducted at a cost one-eighth that previously estimated by NASA. Dr. Zabrin is viewed as a respected author and a renowned expert on Mars, and he has testified in recent years before several government committees And in 2009, spoke in front of the Augustine Commission on the subject of the future of America's human spaceflight program. Very passionately involved. And Dr. Zabrin is known internationally as one of the most creative engineers working in the aerospace industry today. And he and his work have been subject to a much favorable press coverage in The Economist, The New York Times, The Boston Globe, The London Times, The Washington Post. Fortune Magazine, Newsweek, Air and Space, Smithsonian, Popular Science, Space News, and many other publications, and he has appeared on the Discovery Channel, CNN, NPR, and the BBC. Since founding Pioneer Astronautics in January of 1996, Dr. Zubrin has served as the principal investigator of numerous research and development efforts in areas including spacecraft and launch vehicle propulsion systems, Mars and Lunar NC2 Resource Utilization Technology, EVA Life Support and Propulsion, and robotic exploration systems. Dr. Zubrin states that Mars is the new world. Its settlement presents the challenge that will determine whether we remain confined to Earth or can become a multi-planet space species with a future made unbounded by our courage and creativity. And last but not least, Dr. Zubrin is a student of history and moral philosophy. He understands the broader ideological and political context in which our expansion into the solar system must occur. And Dr. Zubrin understands that going to space is not just desirable, but it's necessary to the survival of the ideals of liberty that has established our nation. He writes, without a frontier from which to breathe life, the spirit that gave rise to the progressive humanistic culture that America has offered to the world for the past several centuries is fading. The alternative to space is cultural homogenization, stagnation, and authoritarian control over dwindling limited resources. Those of us deeply embedded in the space community understand that space development is the prescription for a dismal Malthusian future, and Dr. Zubrin makes our case better than anyone else has to date. But if no one tries, he says, no one will succeed, and I'm proud to do what I can to help. Yes, Dr. Zubrin, and we all thank you for your hard efforts as well thank you very much, sir, for joining us on the show tonight for another appearance and a report, especially with the times as they are. Sir, I know from your standpoint and the work that you're doing to get us to Mars, has this been rolling your brains about the politics and what the implications are and how it will affect the work that you're doing? In your opinion, does it slow us down? Is it a threat at all to your efforts? And to our nation's efforts to do it needs to be done in regards to fanning out in the space, especially to Mars. Uh, what is what exactly a threat? The, basically, the, what's going on, like with the Chinese, the domination ship. And obviously, we seem to be laying out the red carpet for them while stalling us down. Do you feel threatened in the work that you're doing for us in all these years? Obviously, you really want to also get there too, <laughs> if you can, right? Sure. So you're well, a respected pioneer. Do you feel any threat from the political and world stage now, especially with the upscaling of the truth of NASA's China's space ambitions?
7: Well, okay. Look, those are two separate questions. Okay. Uh, certainly, the, the the world situation as such uh, could become very dangerous. Um. We have to uh, figure out how to manage this uh, competition with China on earth um the um, and and that's going to be a major challenge for world leaders especially uh, is, as she uh, the Chinese leader is, seems to be uh, very overconfident and uh, um, right. very pushy uh but The Chinese mission to Mars, in particular, does not worry me. Um, uh, I mean, I'm I'm very impressed by it. Um, You know, the United States, we first sent flybys to Mars. Then we sent orbiters to Mars. Then we sent static landers to Mars, landers that just land but don't move. And then we sent rovers. The Chinese are doing it all in one mission. And the very first mission out of the box, and this thing was only conceived of four years ago, and now here it is. If they succeed at this, it certainly uh, will be very impressive. You know, the Soviets sent 14 missions to Mars, and they all failed. Okay. Uh, The United States, I've lost count, but I think about 70% of our missions have succeeded to Mars um, we've sent around uh, 20 and, and about 14 or so have succeeded. Um, Europeans have sent um, two missions to Mars, and each with an orbiter and a lander. And in both cases, the orbiter succeeded, but the lander did not. Um, but the. Uh, it's a tough game. But I, I actually uh, think it's good. I mean, this is one area where we can have healthy competition, Olympic-spirited competition. Let's compete for honors as to who can make the most discoveries on Mars, and per- perhaps it will actually uh, ease the situation on Earth by generating some kind of feeling of uh, uh, brotherhood.
2: Yeah, but Dr. Zabrin, do you think that's realistic? The way that they're acting and they conduct themselves all around the world, I don't see them as reaching out like like me. I feel like it should blow up, but, but because of that, at the same time, it saddens me because of the value, like you said, it's, it is a fascinating thing and the timing, and it actually being accomplished, if it was to benefit all of us as a whole, but I, it's, I, I, I don't know what I see it as an existential threat. Now, am I crazy, or do you meet other people? Are there other people in your field, sir, that are as concerned or
7: worried about it? Well, I do meet some that are concerned about it, for sure. So I wouldn't say you're crazy, but I disagree. Uh, the, the, uh, I I think this is a good thing. You know, I think that during the Cold War, the brightest light in the Cold War was the U.S.-Soviet space race. It was right. not something that put us against each other. It was actually something that we had in common. We were both interested in exploring space. Um, and so uh, I, I'm not worried about this. I think this might help the situation.
2: So do you think I'm overreacting then?
7: <laughs> I uh, mean, I'm yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, no, I mean, certainly you're not overreacting if you're concerned about what China is doing on Earth. But right. in terms of what China is doing on Mars, sending an exploration probe there, um I, I'm not concerned about that. I welcome that. I think uh this can create some basis for dialogue, something we have in common, uh an endeavor that we're sharing together. Do you think they would share all their data with us? I don't know if they'll share all our data with us. But look, this this stuff, uh you know, exploring Mars looking for Uh, fossils on Mars. This is not of military significance. It's really a competition for honors. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, I mean, whoever discovers life on Mars first is really going to be able to take a bow. Um, And certainly it will greatly enhance Chinese prestige on Earth if they make great discoveries on Mars. But in that case, the prestige will be well-deserved just as the United States has gotten great prestige, you know, we astonished the world with what we could do with what free people could do with the Apollo program. And, uh, you know, this, and and maybe if the Chinese can impress people in doing this, they won't have to be so pushy. You know, the people that are so pushy are people that have something to show, something to prove, you know, and, uh, if 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 they can uh, do this and show they're a great nature a great nation by doing some great work of peace like this, then uh, perhaps they won't seal see so put out to try to show how great they are on Earth by pushing other people around.
2: Yes, indeed. Well, I could definitely appreciate your optimism over that. I mean, that, in a way, that's good, uh, and I figured as much to some degree. Um, now regards to the scale of the race of what is going on and, and the current, which I hope you'll get into some of where you guys are at now and what ability would it take for us to win based upon what you're involved with and, and others connected regards to Elon Musk or whatever else uh, other avenues, what would need to be applicated to make it a reality? Okay. Well, well,
7: okay, now, okay, you uh-huh. bring up a good point. Okay. What actually got us to the moon? Well, certainly America's skill and inventiveness and courage, but mm-hmm. none of that would have been applied to getting to the moon if the Soviets hadn't given us a kick in the ass. Uh, that is uh, Sputnik, and Gagarin's flight is what... told this country that, you know, we got to get our act together. Uh, You know, we got to put on our running shoes. And, you know, the the best thing the Russians ever did for us was Sputnik and the Gagarin flight. And the worst thing they ever did for our space program was when they quit. Mm. And uh, I think, you know, one good thing about the... uh, Chinese sending ro- a rover to Mars is the kind of, you know, NASA has now sent, what it? It's sent four rovers to Mars already. This will be our fifth that we're landing. And if the Chinese can do it too, then NASA is going to have to say, well, what can we do to one-up that? And what you can do to one-up sending rovers to Mars or sending people to Mars. Uh, right. And so uh, I, I think we have the ability to do it, you know. I mean, we've been just drifting. we we have been, for at least the past 30 years, been uh, better prepared technically to send people to Mars than we were to send people to the moon in 1961, when Kennedy started the moon program. And right. the fact that, you know, we've been drifting, uh, we've been spending as much money on the human space flow p- program as would be required to send humans to Mars. We just haven't been doing it. Now. Uh, Musk has come along now, and he's really kind. He's sputniking NASA too. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's he's showing that uh, you know that a well led entrepreneurial team can do things, uh, you know, in one third the time, at one tenth the cost than NASA in recent years has uh, thought possible, and and even do things that they've said oh it's just impossible, like having reusable launch vehicles. Right. and uh and now here he is he's he's developing the starship, and he's doing this in a very brave way uh you know, and as he's willing to launch and fly and crash as well, I'll have another one we'll you know we'll we'll see what the problem is by flying the damn thing instead of sitting in front of computerizing analyzing things for ten years well, you, um, he, he's put- not a, he's he's not afraid of being embarrassed he's just pushing on and Okay, so he's now crashed a couple of these things, but he's got a third one that's going to be ready to fly before February's over. And that's that's expected anyway uh, to hone out any
2: issues. You certainly don't want to encounter those problems the first time when you're (laughs) going to land on the moon or Mars
7: or Earth. Right. No, he's got a shipyard right now. He's turning out these Starship prototypes at a rate of one a month. And uh, the... uh, this is serial number 10 that's coming up on deck now. And he already has 11 and 12 uh, mostly built and starting on 13. And so if this one fails, you know, in March, we're going to see number 11 come to the pad Uh, and, and whatever the problem is, he'll fix that problem. Uh, It might be still another problem, but that is how you work it out. So he's doing this. So, you know, he's saying he's going to get the one of these to orbit this year. I kind of actually doubt that. But I think they probably will make it to orbit next year. Uh, and if not, then certainly the year after that. And Could it so, help with any so, of your efforts? What? Could it help
2: with any of your, and your team's efforts, his collaborative efforts to make it happen because it needs to happen?
7: Well, sure, because... What I'm working on uh, is actually uh, part of the problem, which is making propellant on Mars. The Starship uses methane oxygen uh, rocket propellant, and we have developed technology to make that on Mars out of local materials, out of uh, carbon dioxide and water. And that's exactly what they need, because the must plan is to land on Mars and then refuel with rocket fuel made there and uh so that 's our part of the uh, uh, the, the, the work um, so he 's making the rocket we 're making the refueling technology uh we 're going to need somebody else to make the power system uh ideally you want to have a nuclear reactor on the surface of mars that 's the most reliable kind of power um, I was
6: bring up. yes
7: okay, and uh, if you want to know frankly that 's a NASA job because. It requires access to uh, highly enriched uranium, uh, which is tightly controlled. Uh, it's a government kind of thing. And um, But I think that, you know, if Starship is flying to orbit, you know, in 2023, you know, in 2024, we're going to have an election and whoever is elected is going to say to his or her advisors, look at these things, they're flying to orbit, these things. Have the lift capability of a Saturn V, but they're reusable. They cost one percent as much to fly. He says he wants to go to Mars. If we no. work, with him, if, if we work with him, can we get people to Mars? You know, by twenty thirty, and the answer is going to be yes. And well, will it break the bank? No, we could do it within NASA's existing budget. He's got if, the. If we had to, Dr. Zabrin, forgive my
2: interruption. If we had to. If all the cards are on the table, the commie Chinese, they're already, you know, they're going balls out as you know, and they're saying before 2030 for Mars, a man landing. Now, if we had to, could we step up the game to where our efforts would, uh, would get us there before then? I guess I see we are going about the 2030 or after
5: time frame, but.
2: Oh, I didn't month. say
7: 2030 if, if, or after. If, I said uh, no. I didn't
5: say 2030 or after. I said t- by
2: 2030. Oh, by. Gotcha. My, forgive me. All right. So what can, what needs to happen now, to make that happen? Uh, I don't know. I, I read a news article, sir, that Biden was basically poking Musk in the chest and said things are going to be grounded for a while. I, I kind of made me angry. What are your thoughts on such an impression?
7: Well, I'm not sure that's true. Okay. Uh, I'm Uh not saying it's not true. I'm saying I'm not sure that it is true. Uh, Musk. um, Okay. Musk has had a couple of crashes and the FAA is saying uh, we want to have a look at this thing. Uh, And some people are saying, oh, they're trying to ground Musk. But. You know, this business with them grand, grounding serial number nine, uh, they worked through the problem and they let him fly number nine. It was a delay of a week. So the fact that the FAA uh, stalled the launch of, of uh, Starship Nine for a week does not scare me that much. Does that, I mean, I was concerned while it was happening. Uh, gee, are, are they grounding Musk but then they let him fly? So uh, it could just be that they're just doing their job, uh, and that they're 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 not actually trying to stop him. Now, if if you know if they stop him from flying number ten for a month or two, well then that that'll be serious. But right now, uh, it's not clear to me that there's an effort by the FAA to stop Musk. I think they may have just raised some questions because you know. Uh, number eight did crash, and FAAs, they're supposed to look into stuff
2: like that. My concern is the Chinese's influence over this administration, for obvious reasons we don't have to get into, but uh, that put the pressure on all this. And it seems like China's running around as if they're already circled, where the winners, is, where the winners, is, where the wind is. The wind is? <laughs> I think there's a story there somewhere, sir. Uh, you might be familiar with where that would come from. Maybe the irony fits. But, uh, I, I just got a, such a feeling in me, sir. And for people like you in a respect that you're in this nation in this time frame Now, God puts you where you are in this nation. It wasn't China. It wasn't Russia. It wasn't Iran. You have a, a destiny to fulfill and I believe you will see the surface of Mars, but not if we go by the commie Chinese plan again, call me crazy, sir. But, uh, I need to see things happen for America and America first. Why all the cooperationists? Do, I, that's my bigger question, sir. Do we as a nation really, really need these international collaborators? If we
7: had to, could we do it as a nation? Is that a well, good question? Sir, well, 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 okay, that's a good question. Now, certainly, I I think that the United States could send people to Mars by itself if it wanted to. We don't need to pass the hat and get everyone else to help in order to make it possible. I do think, however, that inviting our friends to go with us, the Europeans and the Japanese and the Australians and the New Zealanders, uh, the Israelis and... uh, pull together the Western Alliance uh, by getting them all on our team on this is a very good idea that we, we we do need to pull together the Western Alliance the United States is much stronger with its uh, grand Alliance alongside of it now especially so, yes yeah, so so not, I think know. I think we should go to Mars together with our friends and allies uh, as far as do we need to cooperate with the Chinese? Uh, no. Uh, should we cooperate with the Chinese on this? Well, to a limited degree, I think we should uh, have agreements that if either side's crew gets into trouble, the other side will rescue them and and, and neither will interfere with the other. Um, but the And we could share weather data and stuff like that. We actually had similar agreements with the Soviets. Uh, right. But I think the best way to work with the Chinese is to uh, compete with them in a friendly way, an Olympic-type competition. I think it's a a friendly kind of competition, and I think it would actually spur both sides to achieve more, and we don't have to share any secrets to do it. It would be great, sir,
2: if all of this going on and this war footings and everything else that makes us all horrible, that if there was something without going in any other realms of what may be fictitious or not, but something that we all encounter and say, Hey, and make that moment like you're talking about that could make the change for
7: us. Uh, does that make sense? Well, look, you know, America, uh, you know, Winston Churchill once said, "Americans will always do the right thing after they have exhausted all the alternatives." <laughs> <laughs> and the and you know, uh, uh, in you know, in the Civil War, it took a little while for us to get our act together, and you know, for Lincoln to get rid of McClellan and bring in Grant and. You know, we certainly uh started off World War Two on a wrong foot. Uh you know, when all our battleships got sunk on the first day. Right. <laughs> uh, and you know uh and 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 frankly were routed in the Philippines by the Japanese. Um, you know, it took a while for us to, you know, say, look, you know, we gotta get serious here. But by nineteen forty four you know, we were producing an aircraft carrier a week, and do you realize that, uh, except for the defeat of the American forces in the Philippines at the very start of the war, after that, no division-size American unit ever surrendered. Okay, mm. uh, and uh, and that's absolutely unique among all combatants. The um, and I mean even when the Germans were winning uh, on the Eastern Front against the Russians, there were many actions in which uh, the Russians captured uh, several German divisions. Uh, even while they were retreating, uh, the the and, and then of course once the Germans started to lose, uh, both the Soviets, us, and the British all bagged lots of German divisions. But the um, but no um, the. Anyway, we, we figured out the game. And then the space race, we mm-hmm. started out with egg on our face. The Soviets beat us to orbit. And they beat us with the first astronaut to orbit. And they beat us with the first two-person crew to orbit. And they beat us with the first spacewalk in orbit. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the um, – uh, and they beat us with the first uh, uh, probe to the rear side of the moon. I mean, uh, they had many firsts. But then we finally got it together and we beat them to landing people on the moon and we beat them to landing landers on Mars. And no one else has ever sent a probe to Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune or Pluto. And we've sent them to all of those.
0: Um,
7: And the um, so, you know, if the Chinese uh, upstage us a bit, uh, I I think it could be useful as a wake-up call to to nasa and to the political class that they got to get their act together you know um and uh and you know musk is actually aware of this because there are actually five companies in china that are are private entrepreneurial uh, companies but they have serious investment there's serious money around in china and uh, they are working on creating launch systems that are comparable to Musk's current Falcon line.
2: Yeah, that yes, is- I was going that
7: over the news. That would
2: propel them in a very, a very uh, pristine position
7: in the race. Well, well, well. Hold on. Okay, uh-huh. Musk got ahead of Lockheed Martin and all the other established companies by introducing the Falcons, which are uh actually mostly reusable they have a reusable first stage and an expendable second stage and since the first stage is bigger they're they're mostly reusable the 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 the, and these are are factor five cheaper than any other launch vehicles and so he's taking uh, pretty much all launches that are open to competition a quarter of them but still that's a lot uh so it's you got five. Funny. You got five Chinese companies that are mm-hmm. all trying to do what he's doing now. And so what is he doing? He's working on a fully reusable launcher that will be, make the Falcons his own launchers. He will make his own launchers obsolete Obsolesia. because he knows that if he sits tight in three years, other people will have copied him, including particularly the Chinese. The the, 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 so he doesn't want to be where he is now in three years right the Chinese can be where he is now he wants to be ahead of that and that's how you have to think um, and um, but what about
2: the US government why or is it just a strictly entrepreneurial aspect to this or couldn't and shouldn't the U.S. government get more involved? Again, a thousand big effing rockets sounds pretty good to me, Doctor Sabrin.
7: Well, the um, you know the government. See, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> the, the, they they are more risk adverse. I mean, look, somebody in the government, you know, some middle manager at NASA, okay. If his program is slow, he still has his job. If he launches a mission and it crashes, he could be out of his job, right? I mean, everybody's going to be all over him. Whereas right. nobody's going to fire Elon Musk if his rocket crashes.
2: okay? Right. Especially when he has something to replace it right
7: away. Yeah, but, but what I mean, no one is going to fire him because he's the boss. Okay. Right. Whereas if any time NASA mission fails... Uh, the people involved have to report to NASA higher-ups, they have to report to Congress, they have to report to the Senate, they have to report to the President, they have to report to investigators from other federal agencies, blah, 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 right? So they are risk-adverse. Now, in the 60s, we had the imperative of the moon race, and people understood that if we were going to win that, we had to take risks. And also, frankly, the political class itself, you know, they were the generation that had fought World War II.
6: Right. I mean,
7: John F. Kennedy had been a PT boat commander, a torpedo, and he was sunk, okay, in combat, (laughs) okay? And so he understood that there were things you had to do that involved risk. Right. Okay. And, you know, the people who did the Normandy landing – understood there was risk it wasn't well we'll land on normandy beach when we know it's going to be safe okay no it's going to be we're going to land on normandy beach and you know we're going to fight this thing and we're going to win it uh but sure it's not going to be safe okay and going to the moon the first time was not safe and going to mars the first time is not going to be safe and you have to be serious enough about this to want to do it enough to be willing to take risks. I agree. Now, do you think the risk? All right, let me let
2: me try to see how to put this. Is it riskier to, to to sit more idle back while the Chinese situation on the world stage and in space gains advantage, or is it? Less risky for us, which I think is a no-brainer question, but uh, is it less risky for us? What is the solution? Should we be confronting
7: this head-on while we can type of thing? And Well, look, here's the situation you have to understand. Okay. No one is going to stop China. Okay. The only way to stay ahead of China is to run faster ourselves. Boom. Okay. And that means we have to mobilize our industry. We have to cut the red tape that's strangling our jobs. I mean, uh, the 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 uh, we have to mobilize our science capabilities uh, and and not strangle it with overregulation. You know, the science community actually did a great job in coming up with vaccines real fast against COVID. Uh, uh, one of the vaccines was actually developed in two days, in January 2020. It's the regulators that stalled it from actually being used until December. Oh. And it wasn't a bit safer or more effective in December than it was 11 months earlier. Okay, but in ours, we have tremendous scientific capabilities. So we got to let them loose. Okay, now, furthermore, the Mars venture itself will help that, and, and not just in space, in all areas. Because, I mean, look, you know, we doubled our number of science graduates in this country during the 1960s, in every level high school, college, PhD, because the Apollo program said to young people, learn your science and you could be an explorer of new worlds. And so we got millions of scientists, engineers, inventors, doctors, medical researchers, technological entrepreneurs came out of that. I, I myself am a product of that. And uh, I'm a little unusual in that, in that I actually ended up doing science. The, the vast majority entered into all sorts of other fields across the board. and you know, these are the people that built Silicon Valley. And the did the computer revolution, uh did all these advances. And and the, the the you know, we're not gonna find the cure to COVID on the space station. But you can bet your bottom dollar that these teams that are coming up with the new vaccines and the cures and all this stuff. Include a lot of people that became scientists because they were excited about the space program. So if we have a lot more exciting space program, humans to Mars, we're going to have millions of young boys and at this day and age girls as well uh, going into science. And it is going to advance us in every area from national defense to industrial competitiveness to public health.
2: Yes, especially construction jobs and industrial, because you're going to have to transfer those earthbound jobs to space as well, correct? Uh, amongst other walks of life and professionalities. Is that not so?
7: Well, that is true. But what I was getting at was the creation of intellectual capital, scientists, engineers. Um, the, these are the kinds of people that advance our, our, our defense, our industrial competitiveness, and our health.
2: Now, do you think, uh, uh, maybe from a speculative prediction, do you see that happening or can happen, and your efforts behind that to
7: help make that happen, to make it happen? In this well, I, I think there's a possibility. Okay. Uh, there's a possibility, and, and I, I I give it one in three. Um the, I mean, Biden says he wants to be the science president. Uh, now, of course, at the top of the list is the COVID situation. But, a lot of- um, but the thing is, you know, in other words, this is really bringing to the fore the fact that our lives depend on our scientific excellence. Okay. Right. And there's Literally. nothing more important than that. And so let's advance it in all spheres, and a bold space program could very well be part of that.
2: Hmm.
7: Now, now, just to jump on uh,
2: other aspects of the mission, you brought up uh, nuclear earlier. I'm sure you're familiar. I, I, I'm not that familiar. i seen an article the other day, sir, about a nuclear engine propulsion. And I was thinking, I wonder if that would help the big effing rockets, or would that be – too dangerous for their objective and what they use.
7: Well, um, there is some work going on on space nuclear reactors uh, Mm -hmm. and they could be used for space propulsion. Uh, I actually prefer to use them on the surface of Mars and the moon uh, to make chemical propellants there. That's uh, to me is a much more effective strategy uh, because then you don't have to lug this reactor around while you're flying um the the you know in other words, you don't put an oil well in your car, you just put the oil in your car
2: right <laughs> indeed <laughs> right. so um now, regards to any robotic aspects that uh could help Elon's mission or the whole mission overall of what is being planned about to tackle our push to Mars. Where are we with the feasibility of blending more humans with the robotic aspects? Because wouldn't both of them work hand in hand better to to coordinate us to get out there and adapt faster?
7: Well, sure. Yeah. No, look, this is like uh, a combined operation. You know, and for instance, we use robot drones together with our ground forces and air forces and naval forces uh, they are part of the uh, combination and certainly combining robots with people. Now, you know, the, the this mission that's on its way to Mars right now, and which is going to land on February 18th, uh, the Perseverance rover. Okay, right. well, it's a rover, uh, and that we've had before, although this will have some new instruments. But what's really new here is they're also bringing a helicopter,
2: ingenuity
7: yes right ingenuity helicopter uh now i myself actually did some uh initial analysis of electric helicopters on mars way back in the 1990s and i came to the conclusion that it, it would be possible and now they're actually doing it and the uh the thing is uh a helicopter is vastly more capable as a robotic explorer than a ground rover. You know, these ground rovers, they move, uh, you know, a couple of hundred yards in a day. Right. The, uh, the helicopter could do that in a few seconds. Right.
6: Uh,
7: and the, and not only that, it could go much further. In other words, instead of traveling, uh, you know, 200 yards in a day, it could travel 200 miles in a day. And, and 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 then it can land, and it's not stopped by terrain if there's a canyon in the way. it can just fly right over it, or it can fly into it and land the bottom of it and explore there you know and the this is just a little helicopter okay uh it's practically the size of a toy helicopter, but the it's but it it's meant to be the prototype for testing much larger ones, and you could right. have much bigger ones that could be carrying rovers. Okay, in other words, imagine a helicopter uh, you know, that could carry a little rover like the Sojourner rover that we landed on, that was our first rover, which was like the size of a toy tank.
6: Okay,
7: the, well, the, helicopter could be carrying one of those around and when it lands, it could let it loose and it can run around and, you know, examine all the rocks and stuff. And then when it's time to go, it calls it back, grabs it with a hook, flies it to somewhere else. Uh, you know, this is a far more powerful means of exploration. Also the, the helicopter could carry ground penetrating radar search for underground water, underground ice, underground caverns. Uh, the helicopter uh, can do photo reconnaissance just like we use drones to do photo reconnaissance for infantry uh, right now on Earth, and uh, so it it's really a more powerful tool for combined operations with people because one weakness that the robotic rovers have is they actually travel slower than people, and right. you want your scouts to travel faster than you, not slower than you.
2: Right, and it can lay out the terrain ahead of you like you like you said, up to so many right. miles. how far I don't think this one's capable of going that far though as a test, or am I wrong no on no that?
7: no this this is not gonna go very far uh right. this this will fly you know maybe to an altitude of a hundred yards and travel a few hundred yards and then come back and land on the rover again to be right. recharged uh it's It's that kind of thing. You know, they they hope to fly it a couple of times. Now, if they're lucky, they'll keep using it. Uh, right. But this is 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 more of what NASA calls a tech demo, a technological demonstration, just as Sojourner was, it, right. which in 1997 it it was not meant to be a serious exploration tool, although it did actually do some useful work. It meant right. to be a proof of concept and. It worked, and so we followed it up with Spirit and Opportunity. Um, the, uh, I mean, to give you a sense, the, the, as I say, Sojourner was about the size of uh, a toy tank. Uh, right. Spirit and Opportunity were about the size of bicycles. Uh, and the, uh, the Curiosity rover uh about the size of a Volkswagen. And that's right. also the case with the Perseverance rover, which is basically the same kind of machine as the Curiosity rover, just armed with different instruments.
2: Have you seen uh, maybe um, – you sound optimistic about the flights. Therefore, have you seen like maybe plans, which would be pretty cool, for any future prototypes of uh, aerial uh, vehicles they would like to try?
7: Uh, not uh, any detailed designs, No. But I think the next step would be to go to a helicopter, oh, maybe 50 kilogram, 100 pound kind of helicopter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so about 10 times the size of this. I I could easy, if this works, you can bet your bottom dollar that they're going to come to the fore with serious helicopter missions. Uh, there are also uh, another mission that they just announced, which will fly in 2026. Is an orbiter that's going to have ground-penetrating radar to look for underground ice and water.
6: Um,
7: oh. So that that's a good one.
6: You think uh, it'll
7: lidar? Yeah, sure. But also radar. Uh, radar can penetrate deeper into the ground. Um, right. And mm. um, so that that's a good mission. Um, now, by the way, you know I have a book called The Case for Mars. And Uh uh, we just published the 25th anniversary edition. Uh, Uh So if listeners want to find out more about all this stuff, that book is available on on Amazon. It's called The Case for Mars. So your your work now,
2: based on what you were saying about 2030 or before, and uh, you feel confident that that, that there should be no hindrance to that? We still have a chance to win this space race overall, depending on
7: what climate, how it's going to be set up. Well, there's going to be plenty of hindrances, but if you want to do this, you got to be prepared to overcome them. But yes, we can do it.
5: See, that's the spirit right there. <laughs> of
2: Dr. Robert Zubrin. Definitely. Hmm. So what are you working on now? What's going on now with you, sir? Um, You know, personally if you want or but uh regards to the missions in your work and what's going on now
7: well okay as i said we just came out with the 25th anniversary edition of the case for mars i also have another book called the case for space uh which talks not just about mars but the moon and the entrepreneurial space revolution and, and going to the outer solar system and the stars as well um in terms of my company uh, we're doing a lot of work right now. Uh, we have a contract with NASA on developing technology to make oxygen and steel on the moon. Uh, we have other stuff uh, for recycling wastes uh, in space for um, capturing carbon dioxide on Mars, um, a variety of things we're, we're doing there. Uh, the Mars Society um, we had to suspend our field season at the Mars desert research station because of the epidemic. We couldn't send crews there. Uh, but we, we plan on reopening it in the fall. Um, and, um, so we'll, we'll be ready for that. We have many crews anxious to go. Uh, the Mars society had, you know, this past year we held our convention Uh, we couldn't do it in person so we held an international teleconvention Uh and um, um, so it was all done online and we've posted the videos of all the talks on the Mars Society YouTube channel and there's one that people might find particularly interesting which is uh, I interviewed uh, Elon Musk so if people want to see that it's on the Mars Society YouTube channel and I And I think there's a good chance that our convention this year will also be a teleconvention.
2: Nice. I'll link to that on the archive page, sir, of that interview. Uh is it embeddable?
7: Uh I don't know if it's embeddable, but it's certainly linkable.
2: All right, awesome. Yeah, that'll that'll be that'll help a lot. Uh one of these days it's my dream to get him on this show. But uh like him and you, sir, you know, you're helping making our fate one step at a time. And we definitely commend you, sir, and uh, definitely want your success, future success, and a leading position and a voice, especially now in the times that we're in, to face whatever, you know, my crazy side, the commie Chinese, and overall, the importance that now is the time. And like you said, uh, I, I, I think, do you think this is the right time, sir, for us? Let's start with that. That we really as a nation can embrace this, create thousands if not millions of jobs to make this happen before, as you're going to Mars to go. Well, I,
7: I, think, I, I think this is the time. And uh, I think that, well, first of all, if this Mars mission is a success uh, uh-huh. for us, and frankly, if the Chinese mission is succeeds, it will help push this forward here. Uh, and if Musk succeeds in getting the Starship to fly, if these things come together, this could uh, perhaps get this program on the road.
2: That's right, and uh, I guess on one last point, I'd like to thank you for your time. We're coming down, but you, you, I think the last time you on you agreed with me. Uh, we do not need the moon to go to Mars. It could be helpful, beneficial, but. Shouldn't we do them both simultaneously? And is that feasible as well?
7: Well, yeah, it is feasible. And you're right. We do not need a moon base to go to Mars. In fact, you would not use, if you had a moon base, you wouldn't use it to help you go to Mars. You'd just go to Mars. Uh, The same technology, though, that gets us to Mars will also allow us to establish moon bases. And I think that's a good thing to do.
2: Yes, Indeed.
7: All right, sir, any final
2: comments or whatnot? And uh, hopefully you'll be on to report with us again at some point in time, uh, definitely after these missions. We'll see uh, how many minutes of hell we go through with it. Well, I can imagine the, you guys will be looking forward to. <laughs>
7: well, the the one last thing is, okay, if people want humans to go to Mars, they should help make it happen. You know, history is not a spectator sport. People Things happen because people make it happen. And that's the purpose of the Mars Society, to make Humans to Mars happen. So if people want to join the Mars Society, or just we have a free email newsletter, you can sign up for it. Go to the Mars Society website, which is at marssociety.org. And you can sign up there, and you can also see a lot of things that are going on there. we got all sorts of stuff posted.
2: Excellent, sir. So I definitely look forward to the future in the coming days. Well, I got guess- you made me feel a little more comfortable. You're an optimistic uh fellow genius and I and I see you helping working the gears of my head turn, how applicable it could be. I just I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have faith in the commie Chinese, but either way, I think we have to we're gonna have to face it and embrace it, like you said, do what it takes. There's risks. And uh I think you have the courage and I think this nation still has the courage, sir. And thank you very much for your time. You're an honored individual, yeah. and uh, you're definitely helping making us our, uh, helping make our fate usher the a Martian revolution. Well,
7: thank you very much for for saying that, and thanks for inviting me. And once again, people should go to MarsSociety.org and sign up.
2: Thanks. Yes, sir. We'll all make it happen. Thank you. Have a good night, thank sir.
7: You. Thank you.
2: Bye. All right. So there you go, everyone. Dr. Robert Zubrin. So, very interesting. Hmm. His, po- his political outlook on this is, you know, it's kind of charming in a way, you know. And it, it, it's looking for the best in people and the best that they go of what intelligence brings, raises up above what should be a lot of the bleakness and reality of the ugliness of the, well, the other side of man involved in this. And, uh... But if he feels confident and, you know, he doesn't sound like he's too stirred that much, huh? But it sounds like he's ready, you know, to take risks. He's been doing that all these years and uh, it's a risky thing and he's being a part of it. You know, his his years are waiting too, just like every one of us, one day at a time, right? And he he puts his faith that the risk of doing the work that he does to bring us to Mars it's gonna pay off for him because he could actually be able to stand there and say, what's that? Wouldn't that be awesome?" You know. But again, the existential threat among us still boggles me. You know. But again, you know, they just say I'm crazy. You know, maybe I am. You know, but I know one thing: we must make our fate. I'm tired of wearing face diapers, muzzles. I'm tired of the politics taking away our rights and freedoms, the threatening of our our heritage and our rightful place in space as a nation with national pride that would be willing to share, at least to some degree, at least built on our infrastructure. I didn't get into that with him about it, but he did uh, mention how that would definitely help the infrastructure of this all, especially with allies and friends. Again, I'm more America first. Many of them aren't our allies and friends, you know. But how things are. But it still fascinates me and what Mars beckons. There's a race and a flotilla there going there right now. But China seems to be doing circles as if they already won everything. They think they got them beat. Our president, our country. And they got whatever they got over Biden to allow everything to happen here on Earth and in space. I laid out what I can in the news to help show you the threat that's there among us. And even that threat, you know, like uh, Dr. Zabrin said, can also bring us to a position to where things could happen in a good way, maybe. Again, my, my idea is something maybe that they would encounter or something that would just happen that would just make us drop a our differences, like a Ronald Reagan moment, not saying for aliens or something. I mean, I mean, just something, anything that would make our childhood, childhood's end all the more easier. But I think I said enough. We could have enough to contemplate listeners to this show. They know that they can pack them and smoke them. Because they definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation and bring on our friend, a return guest, Dr. John Brandenburg. Share some thoughts about some of this. But I think he's highly optimistic, too. And, uh, But again, I don't know. I, I don't know. But he's got some other things to share about Mars and uh, other stuff. So it should be a good night. Everyone, please go to thefacesofmars.com. Check out the info for Dr. John Brandenburg and uh, the pictures, the graphs that he has given us. Don't ask me to explain it. He will. And hopefully you people that can understand may have some questions or whatnot, because he's going to be proving something tonight to which he was proven right, but no one really wants to talk about. No one ever wants to talk about, you know, the elephant in the room. Instead, many uh, people say, is there a pony in here? <laughs> okay, you know, but anyway. All right, so again, pack up and Because 'em, 'cause you're definitely gonna need 'em when we come back on the Martian Revelation. I'll be back.
6: Don't run. We
5: are your friends. Okay. If you are a listener of the Martian Revelation, then you are well aware that the entire planet Earth is currently involved in an all-out worldwide space race. Every country across the globe, including England, Germany, India, Russia, and China, are involved in a mad Martian rush be the first country to plant their flag on Mars. Get an idea of what these brave astronauts will be finding on the planet Mars before President Trump plants the first American boots on the face of Mars. You might want to familiarize yourself with George Haas and get to know his work and read his books. Haas has been studying NASA and European Space Agency imagery of Mars for over 25 years and has co-authored two books, which geomorphologist William Saunders called the 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 Cydonia Codex and the Martian Codex. I encourage you all to support his research by visiting his website at www.thecydoniainstitute.com. And remember, as George Haas has always said, through NASA's own pictures, the truth will be revealed.
2: Yes, indeed. What would it look like in a post American world? What better person to help us, hopefully, understand and possibly interpret those predictions? How fitting than Dr. John Brandenburg. But let's uh, welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Legia, your host, The Mars Revealer, known also as The Mad Martian. Of course, you're listening to The Martian Revelation, that's upon you all again now. And let's introduce Dr. John Brandenburg. And Dr. Brandenburg believes a faction of the government wants controversial images of lost civilizations and uh nuclear weapon signatures on mars to be released to the public in order to build support for a manned mission to the red planet i wonder if that has anything to do with the kami chinese desires as well but with the face on mars and various artifacts and pyramids in the Sidonia region and elsewhere there are telltale signs of a past civilization perhaps akin to the ancient egyptians or mayans That he has concluded. Yet Mars' atmosphere is loaded with telltale isotopes that suggest a massive nuclear explosion. More than one, in fact, took place there around 200 to 500 million years ago. He continues. Okay? And based on the amount of the chemical element xenon-129 found in the Martian atmosphere, Dr. Brandenburg estimates that the explosion was large enough to have torn the entire atmosphere of Mars away from the planet and into space, changing it from an Earth-like environment to its current state. He proposed that the elevated ratio of xenon-129 to uh, xenon-132 in the atmosphere of Mars could only be explained as the after-signature of a nuclear weapon. No natural processes, except for what he may get into about later. And that doesn't compare, I don't think. But he suggests that massive explosions occurred in Amari uh, near Cydonia at approximately 50 degrees north, 30 degrees west. Again, near Cydonia Mensa and in Utopia Planum, Utopia Planitia at approximately 50 degrees north, 120 degrees west. So 50 degrees north was a major target for both sites, it seems. There are both locations of possible archaeological artifacts as well. Why well, be surprised? But uh, but the nuclear attack was likely done from space with the midair explosion that left a large amount of trinitite like glass in two locations. And trinitite's like that green glass. If you go out to the testing fields, uh, I think of what uh, Alamogordo or other places, and uh, Dr. Brandenburg, I'm sure, could attest to, uh, they found this trinitite. From the heating and melts the sand like glass i believe i'm not the scientist here but it's fascinating shit because it's being signatured there and they know what that's from imagine they'd get their hands on the actual trinitite i'm sure it would have all these isotopes wouldn't it but then again what do i know but uh it left a huge light glass in two locations one near cydonia as well And he believes that we need to get astronauts on Mars as soon as possible in order to find out further details of what happened there and so that Earth can avoid the same fate. And I will say and add on to the need for the Space Force to, well, be better prepared for any threats coming from deep space, which was part of the Space Force's proposal, remember? But uh, I believe we have Dr. Brandenburg on with us. And Dr. Brandenburg, am I going insane? Uh, no, you're not. Here comes Chinese, everything. I'm fearing everything. Mr. I don't know if you're uh, a friend. He's kinda no, optimistic. You're not going insane,
1: Gary, the world is insane.
2: <laughs> yes indeed. But it's it's not insane for what is being talked about. Again, nuclear weapons on Mars five two hundred to five hundred million years ago. How concerned should people be by hearing this right now and take for granted if some of these people haven't ever heard this? What would you say?
1: Well, I'll say that this is where the evidence points. I worked for uh, nine and a half years at nuclear weapons labs. So I didn't work directly on nuclear weapons, but, you know, I developed an informal knowledge of how they work and what they produce. And when a nuclear weapon goes off, you can do forensics on the, you know, the gases that are released after the explosion, particularly the characteristic isotopes. And as it turns out, first, I was told that the xenon-129 in a spike of, of uh, abundance is one of the signs of a nuclear weapon going off. And... You know, it took me a long time to find that in the open literature, but I finally found it. Uh, what happens, and if you look on the website that you so nicely put up, um, what happens is that there's a process called R process, and it's a means rapid. And it occurs only in two places. Once in nature, it occurs where you have um, um, a supernova goes off. Wow. That's now, ultimate. The reason, the reason this is important is that supernovas go off as just part of the natural process of stars uh, living and dying. And so it's a – that's not unusual. And, in fact, the belief is, based on what they find in meteorites, is that the whole solar system that we live in now started out as a big cloud of gas, and then a supernova went off nearby. And that supernova compressed the uh, gas. Cloud so that it would start to gravitate more strongly in the denser regions. And now, finally, when, you say again, nearby, and
2: now when you say nearby, yeah. you don't mean in this solar system, but nearby our solar system as an extrasolar
1: well, body. Some, some people have uh, suggested that the location of the supernova is right where the sun is now. Interesting. And. It is interesting. So it's, so what happened is some of that radioactive material from the supernova got mixed in with the um, uh, gas cloud. <clears throat> so you find basically the gas cloud, which was the result of many, many years, uh, billions of years of stars forming and then dying, and, and dying quiet deaths for the most part. And then this supernova goes off, and it produces its own set of peculiar uh, isotopes. Okay. And the, the isotopes are produced in a process called R process, where ordinary stars like the sun, they produce elements in their interior, especially when they start to run out of fuel, hydrogen fuel. And that's called S process, meaning slow. Okay. But our process means rapid. It means a violent, high-energy, intense neutron bombardment of the elements. And on your website, I have put up the results of simulations. Now, what it is, is I could not find in the open literature any graphs or statements about xenon-129 being produced from hydrogen bomb explosions, because and I know that they flew aircraft through the mushroom clouds after mm-hmm. those tests and collected all of these air samples. That's how they know that the xenon-129 was produced heavily. But the other place, there's two places you find our process. One is a supernova, and the other is a hydrogen bomb explosion. And wow. you can, we have the links to the Wikipedia article about our process. And it mentions that our process occurs in thermonuclear weapon uh, explosions. And in fact, that's how they learned about it, because of the strange hmm. elements that were produced in the first hydrogen bomb tests. So, what has happened is I have finally found. And being a scientist, I love to cross the Ts and dot all the Is in a scientific hypothesis. I have finally found simulations that give you the Xenon 129 spike, and those ta- tables of those values produced by our process are on the website. You can look at look for Xenon 129. I also have the results of S process. These are both from an article um, that uh, I sent you the reference. You can uh, post it if for anyone who wants to investigate further. And so the xenon-129 spike has been now absolutely identified with R-process. In other words, a massive R-process event took place on Mars. We know it was not a supernova. Right. If it was a supernova on Mars, it would have blown Mars up and the rest of the solar system with it. No. It has to have been a localized, intense event, and there's only one way we know to do that, and that is a hydrogen bomb. That's the only other known R process. Now, so we have that finally and I have graphs showing the results of our process um, um, <clears throat> versus Mars and Earth, uh, Xenon, showing you that the R process gives a good match to Mars because mm-hmm. it produces this excess of one, Xenon 129. So that mystery has basically been solved as far as I'm concerned. Uh, what's also fascinating is that our process, xenon is found in certain meteorites that aren't from Mars. They, they in fact uh, have diamond dust in them that predates the solar system. Wow. And one of them, the most famous, the most studied meteorite in history, is called Allende. You can look that up on in uh, Wikipedia. Okay. Wikipedia. Well, anyway, so everybody knows that in 1969, this big meteor broke up over a – it burst in midair over a, a place in Mexico called Allende. And they collected it, and they found in it little grains of diamond dust, and they heated that, and out came xenon. Uh isotopes and they look just like mars but this meteorite has never been to mars we know what a mars meteorite looks like this meteorite is not from mars it dates from the 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 diamond dust actually predates the solar system it's from the supernova and so
2: they have a similar signature as much as that was detected on Mars. does that not matter
1: Oh, it does matter, because what it means is the meteorite community. When -hmm. they saw the xenon spike on Mars, they knew exactly what it meant. (laughs) (laughs) The Allende meteorite is the most studied meteorite in history, and it impacted the Earth in 1969. That's, you know... um, Seven years ahead of the Viking expedition. So uh-huh. all of the all of the isotope experts on the Viking expedition, they were aware of the Xenon 129 spike in the Allende. But does anyone mention that? No. And the reason they don't mention it is because they know there couldn't have been a supernova on Mars. Uh-huh. There's only a, one other place you can get our process and that's a hydrogen bomb. And a lot of these guys, by the way, got their training in the nuclear weapons program. The guys mm-hmm. who study these isotopes. So they, they all kind of knew what this meant and they kept quiet about it. And that's one reason that nobody in the government has attacked my hypothesis. I mean, I've had, uh, a, a, a few uh, little critics that I battled on the Internet who criticized my work, but uh, like I w- challenged one guy to a debate like on a show like this. And he said, oh, I don't know anything about nuclear weapons. I'm not going to debate you.
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I worked down the hall from the guys who invented the neutron bomb for, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> I tell you that was it was really something meeting them by the coffee machine. they were so proud of themselves, but anyway, so we now have from the scientific literature the xenon one twenty nine spike mm-hmm. from simulations and also from data from pre solar grains in uh, very ancient meteorites, and they match Mars. Now, we also, by the way, we know something else. What? Um, the the original xenon isotope spectrum on Mars did not have the xenon excess, xenon one twenty nine excess. We know that the two oldest. St- st- Two of the oldest meteorites on Mars are ALH-8401, of course.
6: Mm-hmm. And
1: then there's also um, another me- meteorite called Chesigny. Did
2: they,
6: they
1: have... They have, have samples... What's that?
2: Did they both have uh, signatures of the Xenon-129 in them, or did they blast no, off... No, they there? don't. Or do you- ah. They don't have the signatures. So that
1: They're means they ancient- Mars
2: at least they left Mars, I guess, depending where from, or it don't matter, pre-event, pre-nuclear event.
1: Well, actually, no. What it means is they just were crystallized on Mars as as rock. I mean, it was lava rock that then hardened, and you're not going to add any new gas to this. It it comes out of the volcano on Mars, and it's got Uh. the gases that's got in it. And what it shows is the very ancient... Mars' atmosphere and uh, xenon look just like Earth.
6: Hmm. So
1: we have now uh, and that's one of the graphs that shows
2: Wait a minute. Um, it said it looked just like Earth. Is that because of the detonations we've had or pre-detonations
1: we've had? These are pre-detonations. pre-detonations. Okay. The detonations on Earth compared to the ones that had to have occurred on Mars are very, very tiny. Uh, Most of the the Xenon-129 that was created during the Cold War, uh, it was some from open-air nuclear tests, but a lot of it was from plutonium production. And that also makes some Xenon-129. And they were making a lot of plutonium. So... um, so we know that the, the Earth's atmosphere gained um, maybe two or three percent more xenon one twenty nine during the and, and people saw it, they measured it. But uh, on Mars, um, somebody re- you know tripled the amount of. Xenon-129 in the Mars atmosphere from the wow. explosion because it was so large. And, um, of course, there's other evidences of this nuclear explosion. The The young meteorites from Mars and most of the meteorites from Mars are about uh, a billion years old or less. Mm-hmm. And they were... Re- irradiated intensely with neutrons before they were sent to earth. So there okay. was an event that not only created a lot of Xenon 129, but it also irradiated the Martian surface with an enormous dose of neutrons. Which, they no, yeah. from that, the,
2: that? which is what that weapon would do.
1: Yes, it would. I mean, it was just, it was, um, a big, crude nuclear weapon. It was cheap. And uh, you probably, uh, if, you know, somebody arrived here, they probably just went out to the asteroid belt, found a bunch of, strained a bunch of uranium and thorium out of the asteroids and then the hydrogen for the hydrogen bomb reaction and just put it together out, in the put these bombs together out in the asteroid belt, moved them to Mars, and dropped them from space. They were were about the size of the Empire State Building. Boy, that means
2: those facilities or processing plants may still be within the asteroid belt.
1: Well, it's possible we could find signs of that, yes. Um, That's a good idea. We should look for that when we go out there. But it's a... um, It's, it's a very, it was a very sad thing. Well, let me put it this way. This sounds like a complicated scenario, but sometimes reality is complicated. Uh, Sherlock Holmes had a saying, he said, you know, when you've eliminated all of the things that are impossible, the, the scenario that remains However unlikely, it seems, must be the truth.
6: Right.
1: And so um, I looked, you know, I I proposed initially that there was natural nuclear reactors on Mars, and we know that they were were present on Earth. And I just proposed that there was a larger one on Mars and blew up. The, The ones on Earth they found, they were amazed they didn't blow up. They they ran right at the ragged edge to being a little little Chernobyl.
2: But the ones that would have blown up on Mars didn't produce the the only artificially made Xenon-129 because it don't have natural. Yeah,
1: Yeah, an exploding nuclear reactor or a running operating nuclear reactor, because it has low energy neutrons, does not produce the Xenon-129. That's S process. And people told me that. When I proposed this, they said, well, your xenon spectrum is wrong. Uh, Spectrum of xenon isotopes on Mars, that doesn't match a nuclear reactor at all. That's a bomb. People told me that. So, but everybody liked the idea because it was interesting. Mm -hmm. I even liked it myself. But then finally, It didn't match the facts, so I had to finally turn to the only um, surviving explanation for the xenon-129 and the intense uh, operation. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, a a natural nuclear reactor on Mars, when it blows up, we also create an enormous crater, and it didn't. The the, the spots of radioactivity of uh, potassium and thorium, which are on Mars, the hot spots, um, there's no crater there. It's just smooth. So what it means is whatever happened blew up in midair. And just that's unfortunately, that's what Hiroshima and Nagasaki did. They, They dropped the bombs and had them go off in midair. Because it creates okay. maximum shockwaves to destroy uh, buildings. Wow. And so it's it was a sad, sad conclusion to arrive at. In fact, I, I started uh, found that I was starting to um, slip into a depression after discovering this and figuring out that this was the only uh, explanation that made any, that matched all the facts that I knew. And so I, uh, I wrote a book. I decided to uh, put myself in a good mood, so I wrote a book called Cosmic Jesus.
6: Mm-hmm. I, I
1: decided to focus on good rather than evil. And right. uh, But what, what it means is that the same evil we see on Earth Is out there in space, in the stars.
2: It's not unique. It's a universal aspect.
1: The Earth and the the rest of the cosmos are all part of the same thing. So, the uh, I noticed you put up my books. You know, the uh, Morning Star Pass, the Collapse of the UFO Cover Up. You know, my, my one of my science fiction novels. And there's this blonde on the cover. She's a news anchor and she finds out she's been abducted by aliens. And she was starting when she was about 15 Mm -hmm. and she's, you know, she gets hypnotized and regressed and everything. And she finally says on TV, nationwide TV, she says, well, she says, I've met these people from outer space. And the good news is they're a lot like us. And she says, And the bad news is that they're a lot like
6: us. (laughs) I mean,
1: um, so we know that uh, dropping hydrogen bombs on, you know, nuclear weapons on defenseless population centers can happen because we did it ourselves. Right. So, but here is the thing how do we react to this knowledge? Mars Revealer. How well, do we react to that? Go we, we got to go
2: there. We got to keep studying the data. We got to learn as much as we could and try to figure out who did it, and where, and when they are now.
1: Well, fortunately, it looks it looks like it happened close to 200 million years ago, mm-hmm. before even the dinosaurs were on the earth. So, whoever did it is long gone. And cosmic karma has caught up with them. I am certain of that.
2: Well, that would Why? be good. But remember, to cross uh, space, you also cross time. And it would all depend how long they've been going. Yeah. And it all depends on their ability and how often they return, if they do. It, it,
1: and, and what it also means, uh, Gary, is that... They're if, not if here. <laughs> evil is not just on earth it's out there in the stars that's why we have to have a space force right and and you know the i you know i wrote this trilogy of novels about the uh, ufo cover-up collapsing and the the aliens in, in and i have the gray aliens in there and you know, and based on what I'd heard when I worked in Washington, D.C., uh-huh. they're mean as snakes. And, um, I mean, they're nice people out there, but the, 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 they're not the ones who are here. And so um, we have to have a, you know, a mortal struggle with them to drive them out of the solar system. And right. so, but the, you know, there was a, a great movie, uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Yes. Uh, and there's this, there's a great scene there where he's unlike the guy, the Martian, in you know the more recent movie Martian, which is a really great movie. He was right. able to contact Earth and have people to talk to and stuff. The guy right. on, in the guy in Marvin and Chris, he's got nobody but a monkey to talk to. <laughs> and the conversations are not very interesting. And so, but anyway, he starts kind of, starts losing his marbles up there because he's got no one to talk to. But he tries to be positive and And um, anyway, so he's out. One way he's trying to keep himself sane is to go exploring. And he walks out with his monkey and they go exploring. And, you know, he's very lonely, wants somebody to talk to. He's out there walking and he spots this one rock. It's very strange. Looks like a tombstone. He goes (laughs) up and pushes it. And just before he does that, he suddenly gets this look on his face and he starts looking around. He doesn't feel lonely anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, he, he is no longer, and he pushes the headstone over and discovers there's a humanoid skeleton underneath it with a hole burned in its head, mm-hmm. its skull. And so he, he doesn't feel lonely at all after that. <laughs> <laughs> no, now he's afraid afraid of his neighbors and mm. um, he, he knows he's he may not be alone on Mars and whoever he shares Mars with may not be very nice right. and um, so it's a great movie and that's a great scene because mm. he suddenly realizes he's not alone on Mars but It's not the kind of company he wants. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a big, um, it's, it was an, we're sort of in the same situation now. Mm. So the U S government and the Russians and the people's Republic of China and our NATO allies are all aware of this situation.
5: Mm.
6: Um,
1: And they all keep quiet about it. And, what it is, is that we have visitors from outer space. We're not alone. Um, and since I published my book, everybody knows about the possibility of this um, planetary nuclear massacre on Mars. It's, so, it's, a,
2: it's fact now. It's not a possibility anymore. Well, what else could
1: do it? I mean, hey, Find me another reason you get all the Xenon-129 on Mars. Right. It did did not, by the way, these type of meteorites that contain the Xenon-129, they're very rare. Hmm. The uh, almost all the Xenon spectrum of of isotopes looks just like Earth or the solar wind or Jupiter, something like that. So (laughs) Mars is completely unique among the planets um, in having this strange feature. It sticks out like a sore thumb. The meteorites, if you take 99% of the meteorites and grind them up, they give you xenon that looks just like Earth or the solar wind. From the sun. So, right. So, and the fact that Mars is heavily irradiated by neutrons, it's, it's certain now. We have this thing nailed. And, um, in fact, if there are any astrophysicists or people with an astrophysics background uh, who know about our process, I invite you to call in. And you know, we can discuss this. Uh, as a matter you know. of fact,
2: let me uh give that timeline number. Odin, I guess. Could that be open? You never know. Blow the cobwebs off. But uh two zero two six eight four six nine five five. Two zero two six eight four six nine five five. One more. Two zero two six eighty four sixty nine fifty five. If you have any comments or questions with Dr. Brandenburg or would like to uh talk to him about this and help explore the possibilities all the more, but the definite thing is that intelligent weaponized <laughs> weaponry went off. Yes. Now,
1: well, so. I I feel like I've finally opened Al Capone's safe, and sure enough, yes, hydrogen bombs caused the xenon spike. Now I have it right in front of me, in um, you know in scientific uh, data. So that's, that makes me really happy. Uh, I'm always happy to be proved right. It's my mm-hmm. job as a scientist. Um, mm-hmm. But it also means, and by the way, I will be the first to say, I don't know the technological level of the civilization that's dead on Mars. It was apparently wiped out by this nuclear attack.
5: I don't.
2: There was a civilization there at all. (laughs) That's the important,
1: right? That's the big. That's okay. So we know there was a. We know the, the nuclear attack was aimed at somebody, and we find in these ruins this is what they were apparently aiming at. Now. We don't know the technological level of the people who created those ruins. If something like this happened on Earth and a couple million years passed, all of the roads, everything would disappear. All you'd see is the Sphinx and the pyramids because they have lasted a long time. And they're going to last a long time after the human race is gone. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what the technological level is. It looks like it was primitive. But can we afford to take the chance? No. We have to get the human United States with what's, let's say, the um, space station consortium, which I know includes Russia. We have to get up there first. The um, People's Republic of China wants to be number one on the earth. And they're not too particular how they do it. And um uh, I think the Mars first and
2: if they get the Mars first, they get dibs on what they find.
1: Right. And it's I cannot rule out the possibility that there's advanced technology buried in the ruins. There, right. I can't rule that out It All looks right. like They're primitive ruins But I don't know I don't know That's just my best My working hypothesis Is that they were primitive Like ancient Egypt Or the Mayans
6: mm.
1: But they could have been quite advanced So there could be advanced Weapons technology buried in those ruins And we want to make sure that we get there first.
2: And records of potential history and other worlds history knowledge may be there as well. The records could be just as important as technology.
1: Oh, um, when we land on Mars and can freely discuss what we find there, it will mean a quantum leap. In human understanding of our place in the universe, we will find, a, we will find, a, here's what I believe we will find we will find a completely independent in, uh, evolutionary record of the evolution of life and intelligence on another planet that was Earth like. And of course, we will find another. Humanoid race that built things that we recognize. um, And we'll get some idea of their culture from the artifacts that they've left behind. This will just be uh, just, um, like I said, a quantum leap in um, human understanding of our place in the cosmos and what the rest of the cosmos is like. I mean, Earth uh Mars is the closest uh, Earth-like planet in the universe that we can visit. So right. we have to get up there and we have to get up there fast, and we have to get up there first. And um I'll do I'll I will uh, tell you one thing about uh, from the Cold War. Um mm-hmm. uh, when we beat the uh, Russians to the moon, this caused them uh, deep psychological harm and they um, they basically said that they they were afraid after that to try and challenge us in any kind of technological contest. They, uh, they developed an intense inferiority complex. I mean, and the race to the moon, we won the race, and then we did six victory laps. Um, While well, their race car was broken, on, broken down by the side of the track. We whizzed by them six times. We landed on the moon six times, 12 Americans went to the moon and returned safely. We didn't lose a single person on those trips, though it was a close call on Apollo 13. Right. Um, we learned from that, by the way, never send anything in space with the number 13 associated with it. <laughs> uh, the, astronauts, the astronauts will not fly on anything that has a 13 in it. Gosh. Since <laughs> Well, it's being an astronaut is very dangerous. Right. And um, even though, you know, we're trying to make it look easier, uh, we don't want uh, to ever take that danger lightly. But right. the uh, space shuttle, so the moon, our victory in the moon race really helped keep the um, Cold War um, from boiling over because the Russians were afraid that if they got involved in a real technological war with us that they would lose. Mm -hmm. Then what happened was we launched the space shuttle. And the space shuttle, the Russians, uh, being Russians, they appreciate stuff that's big. Yeah. And Space Shuttle was so enormous and it could go up and if it encountered the Russian little space capsule, it the space shuttle could grab it with its robot arm and tuck it back into its cargo bay and carry the Russian spacecraft back home to its mommy.
6: <laughs> they
1: uh the Russians actually offered us offered to give up a thousand nuclear warheads. If we would retire the shuttle because it was its propaganda value to the in the eyes of the Russians was so great. This is also why, when we uh, proposed um, the strategic defense initiative under Reagan, the Russians believed that we could put up a defense shield in space. Which you were, they they you helped help on that. What, what's that? You helped oh, work yes, on, I, it. Worked on that for, I worked on that for um, about ten years. Wow. Until the, the Cold War. I worked uh on it um from its beginning until the end of the Cold War. And they <laughs> the Russians the Russians looked at the space shuttle and said, My God, these Americans they can do anything they want in space.
6: Uh huh.
1: And we can hardly do anything. They're using the same rockets they launched uh, Yuri Gagarin into space with. You know, a brave man. But you know, he he rode this this perfectly good rocket into space. But they, the Russian attitude is as if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So they <laughs> yeah. have the same rockets that they used for Gagarin, launching uh, other people into space now. And so so what happens in space has a profound effect on the geopolitics of our conflicts on Earth.
2: That's where I was going.
1: In the days of nuclear weapons, when everybody has a lot of nuclear weapons, War is, there. you you can't fight a hot war. What you do is you fight a a psychological war constantly. And victories in space have dramatic consequences psychologically on Earth. Hmm. And so that's what we must be focusing on now. I mean, um, uh, I want them to build, and I... I know some people will be mad to hear this. I want him to finish that space launch system, the SLS, yeah. <laughs> because it's big. I mean, sure, uh, it would be fun if Elon Musk had built something uh, to get us to the yes. moon, but uh, I don't think even he has enough money to do that. And so we have, a, uh, we have this big thing launch system booster that, were you know, they tested it and it was supposed to run for eight minutes and it only ran for one minute because of right. the software problem.
2: The next and test comes soon, I think. Ain't it this week or next week?
1: Next week? Good. I, I think, think so. I forget. I forget.
2: But it's coming
1: next on fire. Well, it's our national launch system. Uh-huh. And uh, I say, God speed to it. And uh, it, it'll be a Saturn V. It'll it'll be able to lift more than the Saturn V, our old Moon rocket. So. Um, but they're not they're that, not mass producing them. On? What's that?
2: They're not mass producing them. We need an assembly chain. We need something much bigger than what Impala even envisioned. We need something bigger than the commie Chinese, which I was hoping, you know, when, after we come back from a break, we could get them to. But what they're doing, and uh, it's already, you know, touting force of what, uh, what they're going to put forth. Uh, and I don't know. I'm feeling uncomfortable. Okay, we'll, you
1: we'll, know? Call, we'll call our rocket the short march.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: the long march be right? the short march
2: right but we, and, we're gonna need, uh, we're gonna need several quite a few you know, oh
1: uh, know wow well it it's a it's it's gonna happen i i believe that the they'll get it together uh, <laughs> i i don't want to Start into anything negative about uh, the people who are building it for the government. Um, But uh, let's just say they're doing it old school, which means uh, if you can add more money to the contract and make it last longer, better. Mm. You know, so um, schedule and cost overruns are a way that. Some of these people, they just aim for that because it means more money. But anyway, they're gonna they're gonna test that thing and they're gonna launch it uh, later this year.
2: Right. Uh, I, just say,
1: I just say, what's that?
2: Uncrewed around the moon. At least they're supposed to. Yeah. <clears throat> we well, got a question. Right. We got a question oh, from a question. yeah, G D computer. I don't know. But uh what are your thoughts on the exploded planet hypothesis and thus Mars being a moon of an exploded planet? Is that possible in the cards? And
1: uh, could that uh, well, us as well? I'm um uh, I'm pretty much a skeptic about that. Uh, the reason It's certainly possible that the asteroid belt is what's left of an exploded planet. Mm -hmm. But um, um, I don't, you know, as a concept, it's interesting, but, you know, we get a lot of meteorites that apparently come from the asteroid belt and they're all very ancient. They don't, yeah, uh, You know, they, they date from the the, fa- the four and a half billion years ago. So um, it would have been long before before the nuclear. Well, if, if it was an exploded planet, you know, and had a, if there was a war between Mars and that planet and Mars one and the planet that's the asteroid belt now had lost, we'd expect to see at least a socket wrench or something like that. In right. one of these meteorites, and uh, we don't see that. We don't see it at all. So I just—it's um, uh, an interesting concept, but
2: need more input. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, we we need some some evidence, and you know we're going to be investigate. You know we're going to be investigating the asteroids. We have that asteroid. I love it. It's named Psyche. Yeah, and it's full of gold and platinum out there,
6: <laughs> oh, and they're yeah. going to
1: try and land on that. You know, uh, I can just see the Leer Capital uh, uh, advertisements after that happens.
2: You
6: uh-huh. know,
1: buy gold now before before it crashes. And <laughs> but anyway, well, let's just say um, that. Uh, yeah, I'm. And you know I'm an open-minded character. That's how I got involved in this research. You know? But right. at least on that particular idea, I'm a, kind of a skeptic because I haven't seen any other real evidence for it other than, you know, it, it sort of explains the asteroid belt. Um, so I guess that's my answer. Uh,
2: All right. Fair enough. But uh,
1: yeah. I- I- Studying, I mean, here's, that, here's, I'll give you my explanation for the asteroid belt. By the way,
5: okay, uh,
1: and this is this this is pretty much the mainstream. Is that you have you know these rocky planets that formed in the inner solar system, Mercury, Mars, uh, you know Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, mm. and then out beginning with Jupiter, you have all these gas giants right. that would basically float in a big... If you had a big enough bathtub, they would float in them. Huh. And so the asteroid belt is kind of like a place in the solar system that couldn't figure out which way to go, to a gas giant or a rocky planet. So it, it kind of remained disorganized. And what helping that, by the way, was the gravity of Jupiter apparently um, prevented its formation. Um, yeah, it, it, it kept stirring the pot so that it couldn't really form uh, a large planet like Mars or Earth out there. And probably what happened is it formed a couple smaller planets, which eventually ran into each other. And then a large amount of the material that was scattered ended up in Jupiter or hitting Mars. And uh, so that's why the asteroid belt is there. It was basically prevented from um, forming a planet by the, gravi- the high gravity of Jupiter. It, it disrupted it. That's, But that's just the standard – that's kind of the standard um, belief – among planetary scientists I've talked to as to why there's an asteroid belt there rather than a planet. And right.
6: uh,
1: so I hope that makes uh, the caller uh,
6: the, uh, the they lesson, probably
1: yeah. like that, but at least I hope that they think that I've I've, I've replied to the, I've given an answer to the question.
2: Well, yeah, I would say, yeah, fair enough. But like you said, you said the important thing, getting out there and studying them too, especially oh, for any, uh,
1: study. you know,
2: first materials as well as possibilities as to the developers of the weapon, you feel that may have been close proximity to uh, to do this up. Uh, yeah. Angel's got questions on Skype, Mean Green. I, I don't see any messages from Angel, but uh, if he could... uh. Facebook message of me or something, and uh, we'll we'll go to a break. We'll come back and we'll get into some of them questions. uh So that I appreciate that. uh So, Doctor J, we got about six minutes. If you'd like to take a break and listen to this oh, show, okay, thank you. All right, and listeners to this show can appreciate we got a model here. Pack them and smoke because you're definitely still going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation. Drop that mic. I'll, like a
1: great, a good, I'll early be back. The great Martian Revelation are upon us.
2: <laughs> Indeed.
1: Don't run. We are your friends. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, indeed. Welcome back, everyone. This is Gary Legier, your host, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian. Of course, you're listening to the Martian Revelation still. That's upon you all again now. And we're back with our guest, Dr. John Brandenburg. And very interesting concepts to think about nuclear weapons, hydrogen bombs, to be precise, going off on Mars, the civilization, what was life like there at that time, on an Earth at that time? could there have been any interplanetary maneuverings dr j could the weapon maybe have been de- uh, developed on earth and then delivered there for all we know
1: um it apparently happened about 200 million years ago so <laughs> i don't think we even had regular firecrackers in those days well hydrogen bombs
2: my meaning is that if earth was in proximity then and uh, someone could deliver something like that to Mars, and Mars being whatever it is, could they have maybe also have made missions to Earth? Who knows how far advanced those missions would have got,
1: but is it possible? Yeah, The, the, the question, you know, becomes, you know, what was their level of technology? and
6: Right. If,
1: if, if they had advanced technology, could they visit Earth, you know? Um you know, and i I just don't have the answers to that um right you know the as a scientist, the general rule is you try and come up with the simplest hypothesis
2: that
6: <laughs> right. the
1: facts the, the, as you know them and and so the simplest hypothesis is you know that this stuff is what it looks like. you know i've I've been looking at this these pictures for thirty years now. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen anything that suggested any kind of advanced technology. So, um, but you never know. never know. And so, uh, and some people have objected, well, hydrogen bombs being dropped on Mars, that's not the simplest hypothesis. And I said, well, it's the simplest hypothesis that fits. The evidences we have,
7: and well, I said, you
1: know, I said, what? Yeah, and who, who's to say? You know, reality is not simple. Is the is the problem, and so they they say, well, you should come up with a simpler hypothesis. Well, find me one. Hmm. And um, they haven't. Uh so, so they so you know,
2: is it's a stoic silence or what is what is being done about it?
1: Well, you know, one of the ideas they could have proposed was oh, we know this uh radio this xenon from um our process was present in some meteorites and apparently even in a comet they just recently investigated. Right. Has it and um you could say, oh, "Okay, well, maybe all of that landed on Mars. Well, it would have to be a really big comet to do to disrupt the entire planet of Mars and give it those isotopes. And um, it would have to, you know, it would have to be a really big comet. And Mars is a small planet; and it would have to hit it." And uh, just right, and uh, most of it would blow off into space, along with. So finally, you realize this is sound starts getting more and more complicated, too. It's actually simpler just to think that somebody just came up, you know, everything that I have proposed happening on Mars has been seen on earth, including dropping nuclear weapons on defenseless cities. Right. So, uh, it's a, um, you know, they're, they're invoking, um, something that is unknown, some unknown process. And I have just a known process that we've seen, um, Sadly, on Earth and uh, right, like percolates. <laughs> yeah, well, you know,
2: you know <laughs> I'm just playing.
1: You know, there, no. there, there was a there's a after working in SDI, uh, you know, in the space program, there was a joke that would go, uh, my, uh, you know, people were always producing these paper studies of things that we could do in space and. The joke always was is my paper spacecraft is always better than your real spacecraft. <laughs> 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 of course, it's that way because it doesn't have real life problems, you know, like we're facing and, uh, now. Right. And so, that went uh, to China
2: and all this. And you said well, that the Chinese knows the other governments know about this. So, and now with what's been going on with our government and, uh, you know, all the more the Chinese really, uh, you know, being balls out, being demanding, you know, I guess want to, you know, get reciprocated by Biden's there, uh, for their position and what they were bought, they were bought off for whatever the case may be that would put them in that position to, uh. The threat to secure space while placating down to allow them to do so—that's that's on my mind as much as many other I, Americans.
1: I know. It, but you know this uh, uh, this new administration—they're standing up to China. They're sent, They just sent a destroyer through the states of, Straits of Taiwan, and uh, you know they. So let let's put it this way the China the, the People's Republic of China its human space program is is just a sock puppet show i mean they, they launch somebody into space every 3 years
6: All
1: right and they stay up there maybe at most two weeks, and then they come down. I mean, they put up a space station. It just orbits. It's, they don't have anybody in there. Hmm. And um, so, you know, compare that to the uh, Cossacks and the Cowboys racing to the moon, both of them going full out. We were launching stuff every month. And uh, both the the Russians and the United States, and compared to, if you compare that to the uh, People's Republic's um, uh, human spaceflight program, uh, it's it's a it's basically just um, it just sort of says I I can do this, and that's all it says. They don't seem to be really interested in doing anything except uh, just going up there in space every three years and uh, demonstrating them that they can do it. Uh, And not only that. um, Well, they did go to the moon, Dr. Jay, as you know, on
2: the far side. um, Now the lander and, you know, all these um, rockets going to be built. uh, They seem serious for this race. And uh, for their place in it but i i where are we in a position of the seriousness to confront it as it deserves even with a worst case uh, scenario uh i uh
1: I have great confidence in this country that um you know that we will uh, stay number one and um this means that the uh, we're going to um, be first back on the moon and first on Mars with human beings. So I'm I'm just very confident of that. And um, it's um, so uh, so I I don't think. Um, Let's put it this way. The People's Republic. We we befriended the People's Republic and invested a lot of money in them. Oh, they sure that did. I was, was all, you know, they are doing really well and are prosperous because. A lot. We invested a lot in them. And, that, and, and that's good. We want everybody on Earth to be prosperous and have a good life. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But that was partly on the theory that, you know, the enemy of my enemy, which was Russia, is yeah. my friend. Now, now, we have found out that the enemy of my enemy is not necessarily my friend at all. Yeah. And now that that cat is out of the bag, we're not going back there again. Especially That's good. After this, after this virus thing, which mm-hmm. they became their major export. They exported yeah. that virus to the rest of the world. Yes. And I, I, don't think they, I don't think they created it deliberately, but once it got out, they thought uh, this is going to really slow down our economy. We better slow down everyone else's economy too and share it with the world Mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, we won't fall behind. So that's, that's, that's just my theory. But I, the uh, new secretary of state uh, of Lincoln, he seems like a smart guy. And, um, and not only that, Uh, Americans love a race and we love to be first place in those races right and um, the best way psychologically to uh, win a conflict now on earth is to um,
2: secure space uh, make
1: your adversary lose face in space so there I'm a poet and I don't know it <laughs> but my feet, my feet show it. They're Longfellows there. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I just, I, I, uh, I, I just want you guys not to worry um, about this country. Uh, we've, you know, it will be fine. We're going to be fine we've always uh we've
2: always bounced back from adversity, well, I hope we do from this. We're infiltrated by people that also do not want us to be Americans, let alone America first, and uh you know we gotta go up against them and fight this space race to win it to have that race uh oh, which is, it would be hindered it's just a scary position with the position of the Chinese Communist uh, military, uh, even though they go out for a couple weeks at a time, but yet they're plowing so far ahead in such short time and having successes. It's got my attention, and I think it should have the world's. uh, But then again, I'm crazy, you know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking too much about it for some reason. I don't know. But I see them... An existential threat to our uh, survivability and definitely from any infrastructure that we as our nation should lead and help build for the rest of the world that are follow, not based on the communist Chinese and any other ideologies that's uh, detrimental to all of humanity. But again, I don't know, maybe, you know, people for utopia too, is that open for utopia? I just know that it needs to be secured. And I don't know why it bothers me so much, Dr. Jay. I really don't. I I really don't. Well,
1: uh, Gary, I'm just a simple theoretical plasma physicist. Right. (laughs) All this political stuff confuses me there. Uh, (laughs) I'll just say that uh, as a student of American history, I think we're going to be fine. Uh, This country has been in jams before this, and we've always gotten out of them. After Pearl Harbor, there was Midway. Uh, After Vietnam and Watergate, there was Ronald Reagan, who won the Cold War.
2: So what do you then see, Dr. J., now as that catalyst to have this nation really come together in such an effort and make it happen quickly? on a massive scale, Uh, that it would transform uh, our nation like uh, pre-World War II industrialization changed our nation. Wouldn't that same type of effort here, for this effort, also do that same type of transformation, which would adapt us to the stars?
1: I I say the best way to do that and bring this country together is to... Announced that there is a dead civilization on Mars, that somebody wiped out with nuclear weapons. We ought to go up there as quickly as possible and investigate. There. That's the American oh. way.
2: Now, how about for, the, for them to officially come out and do that? That's an official position. That would need to be undertook, no? So who would do it? I
1: know. I, I you know, I... Um, these are political decisions, Gary, and um, like I said, I'm just a simple plasma physicist. Uh, you know, I, uh, great <laughs> but I... I'm, I'm, not, not, uh, I'm not privy to the secrets of the great Martian revelation, and, uh, <laughs> but, um, but I, I think that the government is uh, moving closer to disclosure that we're not alone in the universe and um, that in itself will be upsetting to some people, but they'll get over it. And right. um, we're all going to be fine. And uh,
7: you know, uh-huh. they,
1: uh, ultimately, it would, you know, the People's Republic of China, uh, they've come a long ways. The last thing they want is a big conflict with the number one superpower and economic power on Earth, because you know they're making a lot of progress, making their life. You know this this right now. Stealing our like knowledge, and technology. When I was in high school, when I was in huh. high school, and you know, out riding with my friends in some of their hot cars, we'd pull up to the uh, stoplight, and some other hot car would pull up beside us and we would get in an engine revving contest.
6: <laughs> <Yep>.
1: <laughs> and uh, that's what this kind of reminds me of. Um, you know, the, we'll be fine. We'll be fine.
2: Well, like With people like and you and, we're Dr. Now, Dr.
1: We're, and Dr. Zabrin working that? on these
2: issues with people like you and Dr. Zabrin and others working on these issues, uh, that That's what gives me faith and oh. hope. But we need a massive scale on a country movement to you know, make this. I see a different vision here, and it needs to be kicked up many notches. I know. Uh, but, I, but, I, but it's feasible.
1: It's actually feasible. This ain't a fantasy. Uh, well, Gary, let me pass on the question of whether you're crazy or not. Because I'm crazy myself. So <laughs> you're asking a crazy man to evaluate uh, someone else's sanity. And I'm I obviously <laughs> not good at that. But uh, let me put it this way. Uh, Bob Zabrin, when we get to Mars, uh, it's going to be 90% because of his doing. You know, the man is just remarkable. And he figured out that's Why do you think uh, Elon Musk is using methane for his uh, Starship yes. uh, engine? It's because yeah. of Bob Zabrin. He figured out how to make, you know, that you could make methane very easily out of the Martian atmosphere. And um, so he's, he's largely responsible for making a Mars mission and Mars settlement possible. So we ought to salute him. And
6: um, oh, definitely. Uh, he,
1: uh, and and old Bob is certainly aware of my opinions about Mars. Right. And but he's
2: uh, he has to walk the
1: conservative he's always, line. He's always he's always, been, he's always been nice to me, even while uh, saying, "Please, John, don't get into the civilization thing at these meetings," because. Uh, it makes some people upset and then they call me.
2: <laughs> so, well,
6: anyway,
2: Jerry, face it. Uh, we have a I'm couple gonna, of...
1: I'm going to have to leave you here pretty soon Uh, All right, do, uh I'm pretty late.
2: Yes, sir. Uh, ben on YouTube wants to know, uh, do you think that the CCP will tell us if there was life on Mars, even if it's dumb life? And... As a follow-up question before you go, we have several missions uh, about to reach Mars. This month, what are your predictions and uh, anything exciting that else that you may be doing or whatnot? Uh,
1: let's see. Uh, he he said the CCT?
2: The CCP, Chinese Communist Party. Oh,
1: oh. Well... Um, I would, um, based on past experience, I would not surprise me if to gain some kind of um, psychological uh, or some propaganda advantage, let's say, the CCP or uh, Russia may announce that they know we're not alone in the universe, something like that. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. Uh, If nothing else, Is to embarrass the U.S. try and embarrass the U.S. government, but you know everybody knows why the U.S. government has kept quiet about that. It's because there are a lot of people who are very religious, and they just it's very upsetting to them. I mean, I'm just an Episcopalian, so I'm very fortunate that uh, the church I belong to uh, is has absorbed the idea of extraterrestrial life and intelligence without batting an eyelash, just like the Catholic church has. Uh, But uh, there are other churches, um, especially evangelical churches that are, um, this gives them a lot of heartburn. And (laughs) uh, the government understands that. And, you know, you don't go upsetting everybody Unless you got a good reason. Now, if the well, CCP, I...
6: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, no, go ahead, right? So if the, that... if the if the People's Republic or Russia or or France, for instance, decides to announce that they know that we're, there's intelligent life elsewhere in the universe, they have proof, just to embarrass the government, the U.S. government, uh, it'll the U.S. government will be embarrassed for about a, a day, and then it <laughs> will just simply shrug its shoulders and say, "Yeah, yeah, we know that. We told we were the ones who told you that, you know." Right. And uh, so, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And one of the reasons I published my book, "Death on Mars," was so that people could get used to the idea that not only were we not alone in the universe, we're not unique. And, um, you know, bad stuff happens elsewhere in the cosmos, just like it happens here. And that means that good could happen elsewhere in the cosmos.
2: InfoWars Wiki, Info Leaf Fats, uh what do you think about the israeli space chief's comments uh what was it last month i'm sure you heard about that stating that uh
1: oh, yeah. and his his book contained a bunch of stuff about mars too uh-huh so um yeah this is an example of an independent you know the the, the countries on earth the governments they all know this. It's an open secret in government circles.
2: Yeah, he's stating that American astronauts are there subsurfacely, I guess, with Martians. or To some degree, I believe that was uh, being addressed. Oh. And I had to do a double well, take, make sure that's what he said, but it seems, I guess that's what he said now. Now, but Dr. J, as far-fetched as that may sound, is it really far-fetched, and should we use things like that to dissuade us, or that should just inspire us to continue going and find all this out regardless.
1: Oh, I just, yeah, just, uh, it's, it's the book by this Israeli guy is some kind of propaganda piece, and who knows what they're trying to do. Right. And uh, just because he was in Israeli intelligence doesn't mean he knows everything. Right. Or doesn't get certain facts wrong. I just, it's just, you know.
2: Well, no, you know, but it is interesting.
1: Called, you know, it's called, its intel. you know, the, the name for this kind of operation within government is called intelligence. But a lot of times that's not really what it's all about. It's sometimes just about, you know, or... You know, it, the message in my uh science fiction is uh not only is intelligence found elsewhere in the universe, but so is profound stupidity. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I know that's true because I find it on Earth so
6: <laughs> <laughs> Yes indeed. So uh,
1: anyway. But All right, uh, so the Miller, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go and get some sleep. Unfortunately, it's past my dead time. You
2: forgot one thing, though. Your predictions on the upcoming... One day, one day.
1: Mentions,
2: your upcoming predictions for the flotilla about to reach Mars. What are your predictions?
1: Well, um... This month, something pers- It wouldn't surprise me if the, um, If the People's Republic doesn't take a few pictures of Cydonia and, the, the, you know, the the objects there at Cydonia menza just once again, to kind of needle the U S government right. and demonstrate that they're on top of this, the uh, Arab Emirates thing. I I'll, I don't think they're going to do anything but produce some interesting pictures. Of, right. Um, you know, they're, they're, I don't think their cameras are good enough to see anything at sidonia uh, And, um, but the uh, the Mars rover we're landing will land at a what looks like an old river delta on Mars. So mm. that'll be exciting. Very. Now, you know, expect things like we've discovered water on Mars, you know, for the, you know, the 15th time they've. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they'll discover something, you know, and, and even, even the discovery of bacteria on Mars—they they basically kind of already indicated that anyway by those methane uh, emanations. Yeah. So they're preparing the public for that. So, so they'll probably, um, you know, they may use this as a pretext to say, okay. There is bacterial life on Mars. There, and once they say that, then that cat will be out of the bag.
6: You and think that will
1: be able to put it back in again? What's that?
2: Yeah, but you think will it make it easier to talk about, you know, the proposed uh, archaeological features? And at, at that point, in a in a realistic oh, way.
1: I, I think that. I think that they have kind of um, some kind of timeline of staged, um, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, disclosures and uh, you know, I've, I've told people in the government who have discussed freely this stuff um, that this would be a nice, soft landing for the human race because the the civilization on Mars is dead and looks like it was primitive. Uh, Never mind for a minute why they're dead, uh, but it's very non-threatening. The only threatening part of it is the implications. But everybody... You know, it's one thing to be um,
2: cautious, be
1: frightened mm-hmm. of the implications of something, and another thing to be frightened by what you find. Now, flying saucers buzzing around, abducting people, and mutilating cattle—that's that's pretty doggone frightening. Right. But a dead civilization on Mars uh, with pyramids and big car faces
2: would
6: be that's fun. Not
1: very scary. Yeah, it would
2: be, be fun. Fun. yeah, big It'll time be,
1: and, and and get and by the way, it also gives all this justification for spending all this money on going to Mars, which the government Good. wants to do anyway so uh, I talked been, to some people at NASA, Houston
6: uh-huh.
1: and they said they've been they've been just told they're going to Mars. Sweet. And uh, by the Pentagon and by the intelligence uh, community, and nice. so um, it's it's going to happen.
5: indeed, the martian revolution those, 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 are, those are
1: those are two forces behind the scenes. The Pentagon and uh, the Intel community are both driving a, a human mission to Mars by the United States. So, uh, and you know, I, I think I know why. There, they yeah. want to get there first because they think it's uh, uh, has strategic implications. So, anyway, yes, well, old mind uh, revealing. I'm gonna be uh, having to drift off to dreamland.
2: Yeah, thank you very much, sir, for being on with us. It was definitely uh, good having you on at this time. And maybe uh, in a month or two, if you don't mind, after some of these missions arrive, you know, you're more than welcome to chime in and speak about anything about
1: Absolutely, Mm -hmm. Gary. You know, I love to be on your show. And uh, uh, it's just uh, um, I've I've been a little under the weather because of the, uh, it's funny, cold and flu season down here in Texas has ended. Now it's hay fever season. Oh,
2: great. Uh-huh.
1: So, well, you say, just Gary, I'm going to have to let you go.
2: All right, sir.
6: Thank so, you very
1: much. God bless. And, uh, and God bless the United States of America.
2: Yes, amen. All right. Thank you, my friend. You have a good night. We'll talk soon.
1: We'll talk soon. Great. Bye-bye.
2: All right. All right, bye-bye. So there you have it, everyone. Dr. John Brandenburg. Very interesting. Very perplexing on the things uh, he's speaking about. The stoic silence amongst them all, among meteorologists, people that studied all this, and they're silent because they know what that signature means. Mars was, well, Mars was duked and nuked, not far from Cydonia. Not far at all from Cydonia. And again, it's part of a much bigger picture pattern, and the scale of intelligence of what created the Martian surface well, again, you know, I have my theories on that as well, but uh, much more input needs to be, and it's fair enough, for, uh, for his comparative analysis of what he thinks it represents and is, but I'm just going to say expect the unexpected. He did, and it took him a long time to have to deal with it, and that was that was just over nuclear signatures rather than, you know, evidences of archaeological features of de- of, de- of a dead civilization. so what that means, whatever was there was wiped out, murdered, potentially. We need more input. Maybe there's records there that would tell us of all that. And even its limits of technology, that could be worth much more than any technological aspect we can gain because that would be giving us cosmic knowledge. It may lead us to other places. That may also be abandoned or dead or fill us in on the, on the history to which we're not only scratching the surface of yet. But then I got and again, I don't know if you read his books there of the trilogy of Morning Star Past, Collapse of the UFO Cover-Up. <laughs> well, again, here, he got a lot of his uh, info from things that he's heard around the water coolers and stuff. And so I would say read those books remember that's where truth is told especially when everyone's official you know but uh just makes you wonder because this space race that we're in i still feel it's an existential threat the crime has been done the things are being done to allow the commie chinese to flaunt their way it didn't take them long remember that uh capital thing they offered to send 350,000 peacekeeping troops what did Biden do? He just played it down.
1: Uh,
2: I would have been like, the hell you will. And all these other things going on on their positions in the South China Sea. No one really wants to talk about being sold out to gain what is beneficial to them for their global plans on this planet, as well as off world. And off world seems to be their most focus that they're trying to steer us away from more so than even succeeding, uh, still being around as a nation. They're on the, I don't know. I just don't trust them. I don't trust them, and I'm not going to rule them out, especially if they have someone here that's helping them to help keep us on the ground, stealing our heritage and our rights and our futures, of which was built up on the American dream that has been stolen from us. All I got to say is that until next week, and even then... We must all remain united as a nation, as Americans, and America first. Sorry to shut the show a little bit early, but it is what it is. It's a lot of thought provoking information. The Martian Revelation's upon us, and we're going to make our fate tonight.